Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Sorry for what? Our daddy taught us not to be ashamed of our dicks, especially since they're such good size and all. Yeah, I see that. Your daddy gave you good advice. It gets bigger when I pull on it. Hmm. Sometimes, I pull on it so hard, I rip the skin. Well, my daddy taught me a few things, too, like uh, how not to rip the skin by using someone else's mouth instead of your own hands. Will you show me? I'd be right happy to. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and Ron. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The Sick and Ron, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, D. Simon. Howdy, y'all. I'm Kate Rambo. What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? That was pretty good, wasn't it? Come on. That was, that was, it was very convincing. I, you know, I, th- I thought you were from the southern U.S. Did you think I was Dolly Parton? No. Oh. Almost. That's what I was going for. Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> oh, what? That's such an insult. Why would you insult me within the first like minute of this show? It's my job to do that with you. So, Kate, I'm uh, feeling healthier now. Got my uh, second dose, the second shot of the Pfizer vaccine. Fully vaccinated Jew gotta say, on the streets. Got to say that one was rough. That was rough. I got it just on uh, Thursday, and I was fine. I, you know, because they, what, what they do here is you, you got to go to the, the Forum, which is where the Lakers used to play, in these big stadiums so they can like inoculate you in mass. Uh, but you go through a car, you drive through the thing, and then they come, they give you a perk on your shoulder, and then they make you sit there for like 15 minutes to make sure you're not passing out at the wheel. I was fine. It's fine. Drove home, arm hurt a little bit, not too bad. And then probably like 11 o'clock at night, it just like came on, like hardcore. All of a sudden, I started getting like the flu-like symptoms, you know, uh, headache, fever, coughing. Didn't sleep at all that night. Like it was, oh, wow. yeah, it was rough. Like sweating, like just like a flu, like having the flu, which I haven't had in like a long time. Um, felt like shit all day. Had to work all day. Fucking sucked. Yeah. You know, um, uh, my friend uh, Danny got the Johnson Johnson one, which is That's just one, one shot. That's the one I want. Yeah, it's I'm one lazy. shot. He said it wasn't that bad. Uh, yeah, I just, I've heard that the second one often makes people feel fluey and makes them feel sick. But like, I'm so, what was the turnover from you having your first job to your second? Uh, let's see, March 5th to the, 20, like, I don't know, like 20 days. That's so weird, because over here, it's like 12 weeks. I know people who've been waiting 12 12 weeks. 12 weeks? I thought you had to do it within three weeks or something. Yeah, I think you had to do it within three weeks. Oh, that's crazy. No, I know somebody who's um, two people who've been waiting 12 weeks, and some people have been getting six weeks. Who fucking knows, mate? It's just, you know, they're injecting microchips into you anyways, so. I like that meme. Uh, Kate sent me a meme saying they're not injecting microchips, so don't worry, people. They're injecting U2's next album. (laughs) Sadly. <laughs> Which would be the worst. I'd rather have the microchip. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Governor Newsom here in California said they're opening it up to everyone over 18. Like if you're over 18 years of age, they're opening it up oh on uh, April 15th. So to oh, everybody. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, it, what it's been here is food and agriculture. And then they also do like a lottery if they have extra ones. That's, that's how I got in. Um, but once, like this time, because I 
because when they book you, when, when I got at the got the appointment, they book you two appointments for you know for the first and second shot. So this time I just kind of drove through and they didn't even ask for any kind of verification. Um, but now they're opening up to everybody. Is it like that in the UK? Like, are you guys allowed oh. to go get get pricked? <laughs> Not at all. Can we all get pricked? If you if you're considered vulnerable or if you're caring for someone who is vulnerable, all these people can basically go and get. Um, they're invited to go and get it but because i'm healthy i'm in my 30s i think i'm probably not going to get my first one till about june time maybe april june June. yeah at the minute it's 50 plus and then it'll drop to 45 plus and then 40 plus and then it's my age range then i can go wow that's weird yeah i figured i mean such a small country it's not even the size of fucking texas and it's taken that long well, yeah, but I mean, it takes as long as it takes, doesn't it? Well, I but think you it's only got US... lucky because of a lottery system, whereas you'd probably still well, be No, waiting. I'm just saying I think it's it's taken that long to to vaccinate everybody, but I think the U.S. is just bogarting all the vaccines. Well, a lot of your people are turning them down as well, aren't they? Well, the, you know, that's an interesting uh, statistic is um, the, there's a there's a good question. A lot of people are wondering, you know, like the, the infectious disease experts are wondering how many people actually get the vaccine. Because we need to get at least 70% um, uh, vaccinated to achieve uh, herd immunity. But a lot of the millennials and the Gen Zers just don't want to do it. Like, they're just, like, I was reading a statistic. Gen Zs and millennial adults between 18 to 34 are now saying, like, 23% they're just said they're not back getting vaccinated. And 21% said they haven't decided yet. So that's, like, almost half of the yeah. millennials and Gen Zers that are just like, I don't know if I'm going to do it. Stop slating the millennials because I'm a millennial. Well, the, but this 18 to 34, though, is it, it's, that's a stat that was polled, and 23% are like, no, nah, I don't think so. Yeah, but that's not a millennial. A millennial is 24 to, is it 38, 39? Well, it's within that range. It's a Gen Z's and millennial adults between 18 and 34. I'm taking offense that they're coming for my people. Well, it's a, that. You know, you're that, American that age people, range. but yes. Well, I'm gonna get it. Why not? But I can kind of see what they're saying. If if they have to go to the bother of going to the doctor and they can't be fucking asked, yeah. Well, I think wait for herd immunity. They're I the think ones that's what they're. It. Yeah, I think that's what they're saying is like. I mean, because here it's like they don't even care. Like you look at the spring breakers. Like they're probably all Gen Z in in Florida. They're partying like as if there was never any pandem- pandemic to begin with. You know. So it's yeah. like, I don't think they gave, gave a shit to begin with. And now they're just like, who cares? You know, it's like, gonna, it's, yeah, we're not going to die from it. So why, why do we need to get vaccinated? Very low levels. Well, you know what? You're doing it for your fellow man. That's why you're doing it. Well, you. they also don't know the full effect. Like some people, you might not die from it. But if you get sick from it, you might have like last, lifelong lasting effects. Oh, yeah. Long-term like COVID, to, to, which to your, fuck you Well, up. to your respiratory system and things like that that you don't even know. So, I mean, it's, I would err on the side of caution and, yes. uh, and get vaccinated. But, I mean, it's not just, you know, it's not just the breakdown of, you know, generations here. It's also gender lines. 71% of American men saying that they've either been or are planning to get vaccinated, whereas only 55% of American women. What's with the women? Why? Why they? I don't women? know. Isn't that weird? Do you think it's because early on? Can you remember there was that rumor when the vaccines first came out, and everyone was like, "Oh, apparently it makes you infertile." Can you remember that rumor? That was a big thing over here. Oh, this, yeah. Even though it's totally disproven, it's not going to happen. I think maybe that a lot of people have heard that 
and been like, yeah, I'm not going to go and well, get I've it. Well, I've heard like pregnant, like my sister's, uh, her doctor's advised her not to do it because she's breastfeeding right now. Ew, yeah, she doesn't want to breastfeed well, the vaccine into her baby. Yeah, yeah, she may grow, grow flippers. A bit of my kid. <laughs> Isn't he going to grow them anyways because he's like nearly Jewish? Well, who knows? Came out of my yeah. sister. but that's i was just i was reading this and it kind of pissed me off because i was just like what the fuck is wrong with these gen zers and millennials like do they just want to stay home and play video games and whine on instagram about how depressed they are or do they want to go to the pub they want to go to the bar because i want to go to the fucking bars i want to go see live music want to go and do that the gen zers want to sit on the reddit and come and attack people for whatever Stop bringing my lot into this. We're nice. A lot of millennials okay. don't, or at least American millennials, are not going to get yes. vaccinated. Let's change that. The British millennials, we're a good lot. We want to be in the pub having a good time again. The American millennials obviously don't. I, who it's knows? Shame. I don't know, but it just it pisses me off. People, go get your fucking vaccine so I can go drink in a goddamn bar, all right? Get off your, get off your soapbox, mate. Well, I'm, that's what I'm Get saying. Out. It's like I'm just Get I'm, I'm getting right. I'm getting bitter about it. I want to go to a pub you're again. You like, like stop getting so hot up. It's all right. Hands it's up. not. I'm sick of being locked in my home. Are you sick? Of I want to get some. Sick? I want to go hit on some drunk slags. <laughs> but I'm a white Russian trying to impress them with my sophistication. Yeah. <laughs> um, the smoking jacket. But say that you have these people, these Gen Zers, you know, and the and the millennials that are against it. But then you also have all the weirdo conspiracy theorists who are just like, Bill Gates is trying to inject us with his semen, and it's like I'm not going to do it. And, you know, and the microchips and all that. Well, just this past week in Texas. A man uh, held National Guard soldiers who were transporting COVID-19, a truckload full of COVID-19 vaccines, held them up at gunpoint, pulled them over to search the truck. It's crazy. This is on Monday, on March 22nd. Larry Lee Harris, 66-year-old man, impersonated a detective, and he pointed a gun at a U.S. National Guardsmen um, who were driving like a truck full of vac- uh, vaccines. Uh, near Idaloo, Texas. Not quite sure where that is. Oh, about 100 miles from the New, New Mexico border. He was um, armed, pulled over three vans on the highway, and then uh, held them up at gunpoint, made them get out of the car, and then he went and searched their vans. Like, uh, for, you know, because because he had a theory of what was inside. I'll get to that in a second. But Ooh. what I don't understand, these guys are National Guard. There's three vans. This guy tried to run the vans off the road multiple times and eventually was able to commandeer the vans by steering them into oncoming traffic and then pulling them off the side of the road. How, how the hell does that happen? This sounds like the Wild West, doesn't it? Well, it's just crazy to me. I mean, there's this one guy, and he, he was driving a truck. There were three vans that had the, that had the vaccines. And then he, came, he pulled over, pulled them over, and then he came and posed as a, as a detective, and he demanded to search the vehicles because he claimed that, that uh, inside the vans were women and children. They were being abducted. Oh, that's not what I thought that was going to go. Well, I, I don't know. I wonder what, it, what it's about. What do you think? I was thought it would have been vaccines. I want these vaccines. Well, that's, that's where I was going with this. So yeah. he pointed a gun at these National Guard soldiers. He identified himself as a detective with a fake badge and everything. And then he demanded to search the vehicles. And they, they were like, all right, that's fine. They got out of the car. Let them search the vehicles. Um. And then they, you know, obviously they called the cops 
and then the cops came and they were like, yeah, you're not a detective. You're under arrest. And he, and this police chief here, um, Eric Williams, was said that he was saying he was looking for a woman and child that had been kidnapped. But there are no reports at all in that entire region of anyone that had been kidnapped, woman or, or kid. And so um, they're, you know, the investigation's ongoing and trying to uncover, like, you know, his motivation like what was what was driving him to do this and he was taken into custody without incident um so the authorities are declining to disclose whether he was t- specifically targeting the national guard for the vaccines you right. know or if he knew how many doses these vans were carrying um but he was charged with aggravated assault impersonating a police officer unlawful restraint um but this does raise questions about the you know vaccine supply chain here and security and and vulnerability obvious I and mean, obviously this guy by himself pulled over three vans um you know seems like it's a pretty easy thing to steal vaccines so it made me wonder like the first thought because i was obviously doing some research for the show and we're talking about the dixie mafia of the south that was very active in the 1960s and 70s i was wondering is like i wonder if this is like a dixie mafia thing like this guy's stealing vaccines to sell them on the black market yeah you know i mean he probably could yeah i bet it's happening i bet i it mean it's gonna be very difficult to do you'd think uh vaccines are in like more or less a limited supply so it makes sense that someone would be trying to steal them or on the on the flip side destroy them i mean oh, <laughs> i could see that yeah. too yeah yeah you know? but god would that be great if they uncovered this guy was part of a whole dixie mafia operation yeah, like an organization, and they that were like the targeting vaccines, and he was just or oh, one of the gunmen for it or something. Yeah, and they're um, also yeah. QAnon. So the Dixie Mafia, um, I've been wanting to talk about them for a while, just I don't know, ne- never really got around to it. Um, but you know, it's it's interesting. People, when we come up for topics for the show, oftentimes like people send us topics, and I, you know, both Kate and I do a lot of reading, so we find things and we like bookmark them to talk about later on the show but we plan these topics out like we plan these shows out like a couple months in advance um so this is just a topic i've been wanting to do and just never got around to it um but then i started researching this week uh about the dixie mafia and uh, and then i read this article about this guy stealing the vaccines in texas and i was thinking wow this actually could be the dixie mafia who we don't even know if they exist they did exist at one time but people don't really know what form they exist now but they still think that they're around so that's kind of like the real mafia because people say that they don't exist anymore but they certainly still exist on the southern side the south side of um, sicily well well, i think uh well yeah yeah but i think the mafia the american mafia still exists yeah but not in the kind of way that it was in oh, the no, 70s. No, definitely not like yeah. in the but they're still you know i mean but... the mafia ran everything in the 70s but now do they you don't know. Well, you know, I mean, they. I think they might have gone underground. I do know in uh, San Francisco, um, the mob owned all those strip clubs at one point. But then, uh, I... well, then they had to like kind of not really divest, but sort of like hide behind a management company. But yet they're still running yeah. the show. And I think they probably do that, especially in like on the East Coast, like in New Jersey and New York. Uh, but the Dixie Mafia was based in the you know Southern United States. Uh, it's a criminal organization that started in Biloxi, Mississippi, um, but it operated primarily in the southern United States, several states. 
um, in the uh, late 60s, 1970s. And the group used each member's talents in various crime categories to move stolen merchandise, bootlegging, illegal alcohol, uh, selling illegal drugs. But it was also particularly well known for violence. Um, so they, they began kind of working, like they began in the late 60s, working as just like a loosely knit group of traveling criminals that just did low-level crimes like residential burglary, uh, robbery, theft. And there's no real chain of command. It was just whoever had the most money would just hire these guys out to commit petty crimes. Okay. Um, and unlike the American mafia, you know, who had like, you know, country of origin and a blood oath to your family, there is no connection like that. It was just a bunch of like sort of individuals Outlaws. who sort of knew each other. Well, yeah, and like, you know, people who were in prison together and things like that. Um, but just like loosely connected individuals of several different nationalities that just had a common goal, which was to make money and wield control over illegal money-making operations like moonshine and, uh, you know, probably methamphetamine and, and drug, um, you know, drug production. And they influenced peddling bribery of public officials and murder. I mean, it was just like they definitely had like a, a mafia of the Deep South. And wow. uh, most of their contract killings were against former members. Oh, yeah. okay. So, so, yeah, well, that would be like the mafia too. Is it like snitches? Snitches. That's the thing. Victims were most often murdered because they testified or threatened to testify against uh, yeah. fellow members. Snitches get stitches. Snitches get stitches. So the Dixie Mafia otherwise known as the Cornbread Cosa Nostra of the South. Wow. Yeah, that's good, huh? I didn't come up with that. I stole it. Um, but in the 1960s, the Dixie Mafia was just a loose confederation of crooks and con men, all based in Biloxi, Mississippi. But they spread out, you know, over the next decade to become a, you know, a lethal criminal organization. Um, so they kind of started out in the, uh, I would say they were established in the late 60s. Um, but they were like, there wasn't just one Dixie Mafia. There were several different Dixie Mafias that spread from the Gulf Coast, from Texas all the way to Florida. And th even though national prohibition was ended, you know, in 1933, a lot of southern states stayed dry for decades afterwards. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's, so, oh, so that's why there's so many moonshine. That's, that's what it would happen, right. you know, out of necessity. Everyone has to have their alcohol. Uh, they're just deep net networks of like, um, you know, bootlegging operations. So are these guys kind of like motorcycle clubs where it'll be like, you know, there's one in this town, one in this town, one in this town. They're kind of like affiliated with each other. Like one of them might know like, you know, Bobo over in Mississippi. I think that I think that's what it was. I, but, but there weren't like, you know, capos, you know, how it is in like the mafia where there's like the yeah. leaders would all meet up and decide. It wasn't like that. It wasn't that organized. You know, but, okay, but I'm so sure they weren't guys... coming together to do heists. Well, no, you know they? how like you'd have like you know the the head of the Gambino clan and the head of like Carlos. Yeah, yes. and they, they would all get together and they decide like, all right, these are our territories and things like that. I don't. They, it wasn't like that organized. I think it was kind of like I was in prison for with you back in Arkansas for moonshine. So you kind of loosely knew people, but you didn't trust anyone. You still murder oh. them at the drop of a dime. Oh, you know? okay, I like it. Um, so the Dixie Mafia, sure, it started like originated in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, but it kind of or, or like the origin you could trace back to the Appalachian states, dating back to the Whiskey Rebellion and the the, the secessionist movement. 
um, the Deep South. And so they had this view, which I think a lot of them still do, obviously, look what happened on January 6th, that the federal government's oppressive and that criminal enterprise against it's justified, you know? Um, and so that's, that's kind of why, like, in, in Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama, they're just like, this is just part of our lifestyle. The government's trying to fuck us, so let's fuck them back, you know? And they had this attitude, and it kind of justified their criminal activities. But it was hard because they didn't have, like, you know, a specific area of activity. It was hard for, like, the federal government to track them down. And not to mention, you know, they were in, like, rural areas, and um, yeah. so it was really hard to pinpoint, you know, the uh, the epicenter of the operation. And there was no like head of the operation. So you couldn't like stake out this, you know, this one leader and tap their phones and all that. Because probably most of them didn't even have phones. <laughs> this would make an amazing video game. Uh, well, you know, uh, I read that there's that video game, The Mafia, The Mafia 3. It's like, a, yeah, I, I think I it's a, yeah, it's a PC video game. I, I don't have yeah. it. Um, but they do have in one of them. It does have a Dixie Mafia faction. I, yeah, I like this. These yeah. are, these people are all the type of people that remind me of like they probably like. Oh yeah, I saw Bonnie and Clyde when they came out of that bank, and I didn't say nothing. It's that type just of person. scary hillbillies is what these yes. people are. Yeah, the hills um, have eyes. So the Dixie Mafia committed most of their crimes in areas that lack strong coordinated law enforcement. You know, it's just like think about it. It's like hillbilly deputies. You yeah, know, in these rural counties. Yeah, yeah, well, like the deputies know everybody. They probably don't even like patrol with a gun. And they're probably never shot anybody. And meanwhile, here, here they are with like a, you know, a moonshine operation in the backwoods. And, you know, to be honest, they probably know these guys. They probably, they probably do. went to school with them. You know, well, and they probably, nobody's, they're not going well, to school. Well, I don't know they went to school. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but they probably grew up with them in the same community. They probably know of them course. and they probably just kind of you know, ignore some of the questionable activities, you know, in these areas. Um, and so uh, members of the Dixie Mafia created, like, seemingly legit businesses. One of the businesses that they did is uh, buying and selling junk or antiques. A lot <gasps> of them owned these antique shops that were fronts. Oh, and I bet they were great antique shops. Oh, probably, that's like my, yeah. That's like my front business. And I'm, like, nearly in the Dixie Mafia now. You probably could. I mean, oh, I'm sure wait. you could have an Etsy store. Meanwhile, in the yeah. back, you're like selling illegal, you know, moonshine, making your own, uh, making your own book fast. I would drink my own book fast too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Dixie Mafia kind of first emerged American South late '60s, um, but there's no like ethnic heritage, as I said before. There's no hierarchy or oath that they had to abide by. They were just a ragtag like band of crooks um, who were willing to do almost any crime as long as there was some money involved. So there's no honor here amongst oh, these things. I like them. I yeah. like these people. Yeah. And like Go from murdering it. authority figures to burning down buildings to elaborate extortion schemes, you know, they did anything. Anything for a buck gang is what these guys were. The only rule that they had and the only rule that they rigidly enforced was thou shalt not snitch to the cops. Yeah, and don't be a stool pigeon. Yeah. As Bonnie Parker put it. No yeah. stool pigeons. But far from a sophisticated organization, I mean, it's just a very loose network. I mean, the FBI was aware of them, but it was really hard to track them down. Uh, they primarily operated in Biloxi, Mississippi, but their reach stretched from like Atlanta, Georgia to Tulsa. And they all had like these different kind of factions. 
that operated independently of each other. Um, now, Biloxi at this time, you know, even before that, years before, was like a it was like a haven for illegal gambling. You know, a lot of them have yeah. like gambling on those, uh, like those uh, ferry boats and things like that. I, I've got to get myself to Biloxi. This sounds like a, a cool, a cool city, man. It's a cool well, town. It was definitely seedy. Boys. Well, it was definitely seedy at this time. Yeah. But it also had a ongoing corruption of local officials. Like the local officials there, like knew that there was gambling, profited from the illegal gambling, and definitely turned oh, a gosh. blind eye towards it. So. It was an attractive place for people who, you know, didn't exactly abide by the law. Yeah, I would have moved here in the 70s. So there's an area called the Strip in Biloxi, Mississippi, which was like the home base for the Dixie Mafia. And this is where Mike Gillich Jr., we have a picture of this guy. Um, he was kind of the, if you want to say there was a leader, you could say it started out here with Mike. Here's Mike Gillich. He was eventually arrested. Um, he's definitely older here. Uh, but he was the group's unofficial, like, de facto kingpin of Croatian descent, this guy. So, oh, was he? Yeah, he was originally yeah, uh, from Croatia. Croatia, from a large, poor family. But uh, he raised himself in the city's Point Cadet section, and he became a wealthy entrepreneur along the Strip. He owned a string of motels, nightclubs, strip clubs, uh, gambling dens, bingo parlors. And he was known and trusted by almost every member of the Dixie Mafia. Especially those who didn't trust anyone else. They trusted this oh. guy. And he called so the shots. He is, he is like the capo then, isn't he? Well, he was also the patron and protector and mentor of Kirksey McCord Nix Jr. One of the and gang's most notable members. We got a picture of this guy too. Kirksey, there he is. Also getting cool. arrested. I really, I like the name Kirksey. I don't, it sounds more like a nickname, isn't it? Kirksey. Kirksey. Yeah, I don't know if it's Kirk and it's called Kirksey, but Kirksey McCord Nix Jr. was the son of a prominent judge in Oklahoma, actually. Yeah, but that, right. but that didn't stop his life of crime. I, I, I would say it probably encouraged it. Yeah. You know? Oh. Um, but he was definitely, I, I would say he kind of took the mantle to become the leader. Definitely one of the more well-known members of the uh, Dixie Mafia. Still in prison for life. Oh. Um, yeah. um By the 80s, the blurred lines between government officials and Dixie Mafia members in Mississippi had become so extreme that federal authorities de designated that entire area as a criminal enterprise, including the authorities, the local authorities. Um, so was it was it getting to like escape from New York territory where they're going to start like just building just a wall around it? Put a wall it? around it and make it a prison. Yeah. Um, I don't know like, if it was that th bad yet. Let's but, leave them to their own defenses. But this was kind of common with the Dixie Mafia. They aligned themselves with local authorities, paid them off. You know, would would uh, you know put hits out on the ones that were really trying to oppose their operations. We're gonna well, get to gotta. we're gonna get to one. Um, authority figure is definitely a pain in the ass for the Dixie Mafia in a minute here. Oh, yeah. But this guy, um, this uh, a deputy here of Russell County, Alabama, Albert Fuller, got a picture of him. He was responsible for a number of crimes. So he was, you know, a deputy. He was a, a policeman. Um, there he is. He probably he probably committed this murder, but he was responsible for a number of crimes, including extortion, prostitution, and murder. All you know, while. Uh, you know, holding up the power of the law. Um, but he and three others were charged with the murder of uh, a, uh, a nominee for the uh, attorney general of the state of Alabama, Albert L. Patterson. They just murdered him right outside of like a restaurant in his car. 
Um, but the funny yeah. thing about oh, so this is from this is the crime scene photo then, because we're clearly outside a restaurant. You can see the the menu. Oh yeah, they, this must have been when uh, they shot Patterson. For that, but yeah, it looks went... like a Ouija photo. This doesn't it? Like Ouija oh, it could, could be. Have I don't, I'm not this. sure. It's, well, it's not Ouija because he didn't leave New York, but it really it has the vibe. It's all of it, even though they look like they're nearly in the 1940s as well. This would have been well. This probably would have been the 60s. Maybe yeah, yeah probably late 60s. But it was rumored that Fuller. Um, could shoot the high heel off a whore from 50 yards away. Oh, he's a good shot. I found that attractive. That's like a quality I never knew I needed in a man before, but I'm he's putting a good that shot. on the list now. Just, I want my high heel shot off by a man. That's how he could ask me out on a date. Just shoot your high heel off from shoot 50 yards away. Shoot my high heel off from 50 yards away, and I'd blow him a kiss, and that would be it. But in addition to uh, forming alliances with uh, members of law enforcement, like Fuller over here, the Dixie Mafia also worked alongside fellow mobsters. So they didn't have formal ties to the actual La Cosa Nostra, you know, the actual mafia. But they did have a, I don't know, I guess you could say a quote-unquote understanding with uh, some mafia figures, especially one in particular who uh, kind of ran the show down in the in the southern United States right here, Carlos Marcelo. Very powerful mafioso. What the mafia, the real mafia thought of this lot, if they just thought they were bumbling idiots or hicks, or they had no maybe had no interest in the South themselves, so they were like, we don't care. We're not going to go into there. Oh, no, they states. made a lot of money in the South. Um, Marcelo, one of the most powerful leaders in organized crime in America, he, you know, his, you can read a lot about him. He operated in New Orleans. He ran New Orleans. Okay. And so uh, this was around the same time the Dixie Mafia was kind of rising to power. He tolerated the Dixie Mafia as long right. as they played by his rules and they paid for his hospitality. There you go. So they definitely you know, had to give him a couple kickbacks here and there. Um, but they had an understanding, you know, they, he would even uh, use Dixie Mafia members to collect debts and carry out oh, hits. I yeah, I mean, they were useful. Uh, you know, a retired FBI agent here, Keith Bell, said that they were doing anything and everything illegal down there. They didn't care, as long as there was money involved. You know, for money, sheriff, the sheriffs and officers loyal to, um, to them would release prisoners from the county jail. They would safeguard drug shipments. They would hide fugitives. Anything, you know, for money. Yeah. Especially in New Orleans, which is just like such a sketchy city to begin with. Oh, it's seedy through and through, isn't it? One member of the Dixie Mafia put it, what makes them so dangerous is they don't think, they just act. Like there's no forethought. I don't even think there's any kind of rational thought. (laughs) They, They, you know, everything's fair game. These are just like ruthless rednecks. You know, I'm sure the yeah. mafia probably just despise them. Oh, yeah, but, I bet. Because in the mafia, there's a lot of, there's the code of honor, isn't there? Yeah, and there's like respect. And if you, yeah, and there's respect. And if you do any of them, there's going to be consequences. But these guys are just like running wild, aren't they? They're cutthroats. I like them. You know? Yeah. But I'm into they were useful. They're definitely well, yeah. useful. So there's several high profile crimes, some of these you might have heard of, that are linked to the Dixie Mafia. Um, this first one actually never happened, but just to show you how, I guess, useful they could be and how uh, influential they were, the Dixie Mafia was actually being, um, well, there was a bounty that was put out on a, on, on a hit on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
and they tried wow. to hire the Dixie Mafia to do this hit. Um, so this happened uh, in, uh, this is like 1967, just before um, uh, Dr. King was murdered. Um, in Leavenworth Pen- Federal Penitentiary, um, there's an inmate named Donald Nilsson who actually wrote to law enforcement. He was about to be released from prison. Um, he wrote to law enforcement saying that uh, he was trying to warn them about a threat to a national political figure, namely Dr. King. Um, oh. He met with the FBI and he said that a fellow inmate, Larry McManaman, <laughs> McManaman, McManaman. He's Irish. That's He's a hard come from one to Ireland. say. <laughs> yeah, Mac. Let's he just call pl- him Mac. Let's call him Mac. Well, let's just call him Larry or Leroy. Leroy Mac Manaman. <laughs> um, Manaman. He promised Nissen a share of a hundred thousand dollars if he helped him murder Dr. Martin Luther King. So, the agents. That's little money. You'd want more than a hundred thousand dollars. Well, a hundred thousand in nineteen sixty-seven. It's kind of a lot of How money. How much is that now? Is that like half a million? You'd still want. I want. It's got to be more than that. I want over a million. Yeah, gets, but like, think about it. These guys are in the deep doing. south. Yeah, I bet you the money goes a long way there. Yeah, but you're still doing a dangerous thing, and you're going to be hunted. Well, he's, a, he's a national figure, you know. Um, yeah. So. McManaman outlined two available roles for Nilsson. He could, Nissen, that's his name, not Nilsson. Dennis yeah, Nilsson's a completely Dennis different Nielsen's, person. Yeah, um, Dennis Nilsson's Dixie brother. He either Dixie. could conduct surveillance on King and report his movements to the actual killers, or he could be part of the killing himself. Um, and so he also asked his cellmate, uh, John May, a master machinist, to construct a special gun for King's shooting. So wow, additionally, so Nissen told the FBI that if he said yes to uh, McManaman, there'd be a series of go-betweens that would link Nissen into the conspiracy, allowing him to avoid the suspicion of law enforcement. And these go-betweens included a female real estate agent in Jackson, Mississippi, another man named Floyd, um, an individual with connections to the U.S. Marshal's office. I mean, there were lots of ties to law enforcement officials, to other shady other members of the Dixie Mafia. He also said that, um, or McManaman, who was involved with the Dixie Mafia, said that the money for the assassination was coming through the White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan of Mississippi. So the KKK was hiring members of the Dixie Mafia to put a hit on Dr. King. Well, that seems about right, doesn't it? That seems like something they would do. Well, this snitch over here ruined the whole thing. Or did he? Ooh. Um, but they were implicated in a number of uh, high-profile cases. So one of them, which actually was an inspiration of a movie called Walking Tall, involved Sheriff Buford Pusser. It's a great name. Buford, Buford Pusser. Pusser. Yeah. Buford. Only in the south of America do you get men called Buford. You know, look at his misshapen face. It's a hell of a mug this guy has. Um, I know. That like baseball bat looking thing actually kind of looks like uh, French bread, kind of a baguette or something. <laughs> a baguette, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, it's actually a, a, this like custom made baseball bat that Buford used to use to kick the shit out of the Dixie Mafia and moonshiners. Um, he'd bust up whiskey sills. But yeah, his uh, face is misshapen for a reason. And uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but he inspired the 1973 film Walking Tall and its depiction of a lone sheriff single-handedly waging war against the criminal underbelly of a small town. Um, That sheriff right there is Buford Pusser. Do you know what film also has that exact same um, uh, narrative? 
Roadhouse. Well, Ro- yeah, I guess, yeah. It's Patrick same kind Swayze of deal. comes into town and he stops the mafia slash Ben Gazzara, doesn't he? Well, yes, Road but house. he was Road protecting house, a bar. He wasn't, prote- like, this guy was a sheriff that was protecting the town. It's creative license. I just wanted to mention Roadhouse. <laughs> um, also, Patrick Swayze wasn't against drinking. That's why this guy's kind of he a dick. He wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Although I don't think uh, Dalton drank, though. Was he um, sober? Uh, no, yeah, Dalton was sober. Rest in peace, Sam Elliott in that film. So uh, Buford here wasn't didn't set out. Look at this is a great picture of him. He's wearing like these seventies pants, and he's got this like big old baseball bat. I mean, he had to have a name for that thing, like Let's Lucille October, or something. October twenty first, nineteen seventy three, for his bat. Oh, I bet he did. I bet he it was called Bet- Betsy. Betsy yeah. is a good name for a bat and a gun. Um, but he didn't start out in law enforcement. He was like a Marine, and he uh, lived in Chicago. And in Chicago, he made a name for himself on the professional wrestling circuit. He was known as the Big Bull or Buford the Bull. He was a big yeah. guy. I mean, he was like six this, foot six, 250 pounds. This is when wrestling was, was a man's world. And much Before like what Vince we, McMahon, this is wrestling. Much like what we discussed on, uh, on the Overkill, he even wrestled the grizzly bear and won. He did. Yeah, Buford was a badass. Uh, so his professional wrestling career was winding down, and so he decided to settle down with his family in his hometown of Adamsville, which is in southern Tennessee. Um, and right, right when he uh, you know, relocated there, he immediately had a run-in in the area with uh, some Dixie Mafia folks. Because uh, that whole area was poisoned with crime and corruption. It was like an epicenter of moonshine and bootlegging. Uh, he was beaten and robbed on the Mississippi-Tennessee state line. And local oh. law enforcement didn't really do anything about it. They just kind of were like, ah, you know, who cares? Um, so that's when he decided to uh, run for sheriff. Um, the sheriff, he actually, who he ended up, well, the sheriff, uh, his name was Sheriff Key. He died in a car accident. That's how uh, Buford ended up winning. Because he probably wouldn't have won because he wasn't well-known. But uh, that sheriff was completely, like, you know, bought and sold by the Dixie Mafia. Bent. And so when he was a bent sheriff. Oh, yeah. No, he was very crooked. Um, he, was, he was definitely on the payroll. But, uh, yeah, so when uh, Buford, you know, got the shit kicked out of him and uh, was rolled, his family threatened. He went to law enforcement. They're just like, yeah, nothing really we can do here. So he decided to run for sheriff, and he decided to take on the Dixie Mafia and totally upset their moonshine operations, all their illegal operations, legal gambling, prostitution. He was definitely a thorn in their side. And it wasn't, it was a, it was a faction of a chapter, I guess, of the Dixie Mafia called the State Line Mob, which oh, wow. uh, they, they operated in Tennessee and they ran rackets in prostitution, illegal gambling, bootlegging, bootlegging and extortion. And uh, Buford said, quote, I will answer all calls. And so he was elected sheriff of McNary County in 1964, the youngest sheriff in the history of the state. Six foot six, 250 pound lawman who just had wow. one thing on his mind law and order. It's like, oh my God, this is like Judge Dredd in Mega City Free. He's like a, a real life Judge Dredd. Yeah, that wrestles bears. Uh, so the state line mob had everybody with power in their pockets. They even tried to bribe Pusser with an offer of $1,000 per month to ignore their crimes. So that's a thousand bucks a month in like 1973. It's a lot yeah, of money. So 10 grand is that now, maybe? 
Yeah, probably. I mean, it's, it's, but instead, Buford uh, gave him the finger and he chose to nice. disrupt the operation of 87 whiskey stills. Whoa. Yeah. Um, one of Puster's campaign pledges was to curb crime without carrying a gun or a badge. Instead, he used his weapon of choice. Uh, this we called it the big stick. Oh, come on. Yeah, You'd totally it name it stick. after me. You'd name it like Big Bertha or something, wouldn't you? Oh, he's missed a trick there. Yeah, even Negan. I think Negan called his bat with the barbed wire Lucille. You know? Yeah. It's a, you think you'd come up with like a yeah name. you think a lady name for it, you know uh, the oh. wooden weapon kind of looked like a combination between like a Louisville Slugger baseball bat and a pickaxe sort of and we just looked at it it kind of just looked like a thick you know bat. it just looks like yeah like a big piece of wood that bits has been chipped out of I yeah. imagine on some redneck skulls well he did carry this big stick but he also used firearms to defend himself especially when his life was threatened and his life was threatened on numerous occasions on the um, daily I would imagine well he survived several assassination attempts uh, February 1st this is I guess this is in 1966 yeah the movie Walking Tall is made in 73 so Buford was active in like the mid 60s um, on February 1st, 1966, a woman by the name of Louise Hathcock attempted to kill Pusser during an on-site investigation of a robbery complaint at her bar, The Shamrock. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah, he walked in there, and he was doing an investigation, and she pulled out a concealed thirty-eight and shot at him, missed, and then tried to shoot again, but the gun misfired, and he pulled out his gun, and he shot her and killed her. Oh. Yeah. No. Um, one of the uh, local deputies, one of Pusser's deputies, described Louise Hathcock as being as vicious as Al Capone. Just, uh, definitely another member of the Dixie Mafia. I think if you're a landlady of a pub called the Shamrock, you have to be as vicious as Al Capone. They said he was forced to shoot in self-defense, but people are questioning that. People have questioned that. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, well do you know what? Why not? Wipe the scum off the street, Buford. That's what he wants to do. Wants to clean the scum off the streets. So, as you can imagine, you know, Buford was a pain in the ass, the Dixie Mafia guys. I mean, he, like, upset their whiskey operations. He, you know, closed their bordellos. He uh, closed their gambling houses. Like, he would he would raid on the regular. He would pour out their moonshine. He's they were pissed off. He's taking their fun away. Yeah, yeah. he's going so, for all their fun things. So, they didn't want him around anymore. So, um... One of the uh, many assassination attempts here, but this one actually ended up uh, in um, tragedy for Buford here. August 12th, 1967, uh, Buford Pusser and his wife Pauline answered a disturbance call phoned in at 4.30 a.m., which is weird that he'd bring his wife out on the call, but maybe maybe she'd like to go you know, for the ride. I think because uh, I watched this film recently, I watched Walking Tall, and all the way throughout it, he is trying to get her and their children to move away, but she she is just as into like cleaning up, getting rid of the Dixie Mafia She's as he as is. As devoted as he is, is as completely as devoted. So she would often um, go with him, and it's kind of like another thing is a bit of safety, isn't it? To just have because you well, know she's handy with a firearm too. Well, maybe she he's was concerned. I mean, he's answering calls at four thirty in the morning. On his yeah, own. and. By this point, he's having assassination attempts, so you... But he's a formidable guy. And I mean, he's a big boy. Bull. But anyway, boy, they drove down uh, New Hope Road, 4.30 in the morning, and they were ambushed. Bullets were fired into their vehicle, and Pauline was shot in the head. 
He floored it, stopped two miles away to tend to his wife's wounds. Well, the assailants then turned around, ambushed them again, firing 30 caliber bullets in the vehicle, and Pusser was shot in the face. Yeah. And so that's where you can kind of see his face sort of of looks misshapen, deformed. Um, Pauline was was killed, and uh, Pusser was just left for dead. But he survived. Doctors said he was struck on the left side of his jaw by at least two, maybe three rounds from a 30 caliber uh, weapon. And he spent 18 days in the hospital before returning home. And he would need 14 surgeries, 14 plastic surgeries to restore his appearance. My word. Yeah. There's the look of that guy. He so still now, looks better than that kid, you know, the t- Judas Priest kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he looks better than him. <laughs> um, so now Pusser had a vengeance. He had, you know, he was back with a vengeance. He was vowing to, he vowed to bring his wife's murderers to justice. But unfortunately, he was unable to bring Kirksey Nix, who he did his research and found out Kirksey was behind the whole assassination attempt. But Not Kirksey. Yeah, he wasn't able to bring Kirksey to justice. But supposedly, he took out several members of the Dixie Mafia to avenge his wife's death. He was never charged with any of these murders, but I don't think anyone would. Um... In the subsequent years, though, three suspects, not Nick's, suffered mysterious deaths that people say could have been attributed to Pusser. Good um, lads. His revenge story was later depicted in the 1973 film we were talking about called Walking Tall, which they made like two sequels of that. Yeah, I didn't know they'd made two sequels of it because it does. It has a very definitive ending and also a very boring ending. I would say it's, it's an okay film, but I found it pretty boring. Yeah, but I had seen I, I, The Rock one. First. Oh yeah, the well, the Rock one wasn't he like an Iraqi war veteran or Afghan yeah, war veteran? He comes takes, back to his small town. It takes a lot of artistic license, the Rock <laughs> one. Whereas obviously the Buford one, I would say, is very, very, very true to the story. It's like there's a lot of courtroom stuff. They seem to be in the courtroom a lot, and he's just arguing with these people. It's like a lot more of like that type of action, which is crazy. Because listen to this. Listen to Pusser's stats here. During his six-year tenure as a sheriff, he survived at least seven assassination attempts, uh, many violent encounters. He was thrown out of a window, run over by a car, um, shot in the face. Uh, he was twice ki- he twice killed criminals in self-defense. Quote self-defense. Wow. He was yeah. personally shot eight times and stabbed seven times. My God! But he survived. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and uh, in his first year as sheriff alone, he raided forty-two stills and arrested seventy-five moonshiners. He's making a lot uh, of enemies. Oh my God! This isn't going to end well for Buford. It's a one-man war, yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, he prosecuted prostitution rings. He busted illegal gambling houses. Uh, You know, but he was never uh, murdered by the Dixie Mafia. Surprisingly, because I mean. It's a one-man war this guy, <laughs> this guy was waging. Um, but he died on August 21st, 1974, of uh, injuries sustained in, a, in an automobile accident. Uh, apparently, earlier that day, um, yeah, there he is, Buford Pusser killed in the crash. Uh, you know, you can go to a museum, the Buford Pusser Home and Museum in I Adamsville, Tennessee, and you can actually see the Corvette that he was driving. No um, way, can you? Oh, yeah. I want to go and see it. Yeah, the wreckage. Yeah, I love the wreckage of a car. So he was uh, contracted with Bing Crosby Productions in Memphis to portray himself in the sequel to Walking Tall. And so, um, yeah, that evening, returning home alone from the McNary County Fair in his specially modified Corvette that he drove, 
Um, he struck an embankment at high speed. They ejected him from the vehicle, and the car, the car caught fire and, he bur- and burned, and uh, he died. But there was a lot of speculation that there was some sabotage to the steering mechanism and the tie rods of that Corvette. I bet there was. Uh, the state trooper who worked the accident and claimed that Puster's death was caused by drunk driving without a seatbelt. But there's never but, an autopsy performed on his body. So I'd say he doesn't seem like the type who would drink. Seems like yeah. the type who is drunk on revenge, but he doesn't need to be drinking whiskey. Yeah, you know, it is, that is kind of weird. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, this is kind of interesting. I've, I found this uh, song here. Um, so Buford Pusser, he didn't really write this song. It was written by a, a country musician named Wayne Jackson. Uh, but Buford's being interviewed, and he's actually using sound bites of Buford. It's called It Happened in Tennessee. This is obviously someone uh, was recorded this. Buford, where did it happen? In the state of Tennessee. It's hard to understand. Right, she's God fair. Stolen property, and they illegal whiskey, and she was drunk. And um, then she was just more than she could stand, I reckon. She opened fire on me, and I returned fire and killed her. So, right there, he was talking about Louise Hapcock. Yeah, she said she was drunk. Yeah. Was there any revenge by any of her people? Well, you know, this co-head, he was responsible for a lot of it. Actually, went on that. He was uh, just around around him. But yeah, people check out the song. It's actually a part one and part two. So one side of the 45, it's this uh, version with the musical background and the interview with Buford. But the second half is actually Wayne Jackson singing the song called it You Happened know what it sounds like? It sounds like, oh, won't you please, Mrs. Robinson. Oh, in my head, all I could do is... Kind of has, I could see that melody. And then I shot her because she was drunk. But yeah, it's kind of a kind of a cool song. Um, we're going to actually end the show with a guy um, who, uh, uh, Eddie Bond, who did a whole album on Buford, The Legend of Buford Pusser. A rockabilly so, king. Yeah, I know yeah. he's very uh, very inspiring. He's kind of a, a folk hero in a sense. Um, so that was Buford, very high profile crime people might have heard of. But the next one is the Gypsy Camp murder, which is probably the most notorious crime and the Dixie Mafia lore, the Gypsy Camp murder. This happened the night of February 18th, 1969. Five masked men armed with handguns and rifles descended on a trailer park near Covington, Louisiana. Uh, the Skibo trailer court was, a, was on a bayou off of Lake Pancha Chartrain, which is not too far from New Orleans. And it was a winter home for a group of about 50 traveling carnival workers. Oh my God! This is just parties? like this is just like the lowest of the low. <laughs> the carnies. This is where the carnies lived. Um, so during this period, this is like in February, Mardi Gras, full swing in New Orleans, and so many, many of the camp's residents, including nearly all the men, were working at Mardi Gras in the French Quarter. So there were about twenty-four people at the camp at the time, mostly women and children. Uh, the crew, the masked men, quickly rounded them up 
used chains and padlocks to bind them. And then they went through 10 trailers and they collected about $12,000 in cash and jewelry. Now it was rumored that the victims had completely underreported um, how much was there by about $100,000 to avoid trouble over undeclared income and unpaid taxes. But either, either way, it was uh, far from the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they had heard was being hidden there. So they I, heard. I wouldn't. Well, would you it, rob a carny? Like to me, carnies. I'm like they. They don't even have teeth. Like how can they even have monies? They well, don't. The, the men don't have teeth. Okay, you don't go and rob them. Well, they'd gotten a tip that they they that they pooled their income and there was like safes that were hidden with like hundreds of thousands of dollars. That I they would just saved. disbelieve it. Carnies, come on. They get they get paid in quarters. You're talking about rednecks who would just kill anyone <laughs> for like a hundred bucks. So if they find out that someone's like, oh, yeah, here's a tip, you know, that, that gypsy over there has like $300,000 in a safe in a trailer, they're going to be like, yeah, we'll go check it out. Um, so they took a woman there named Margie George, 44-year-old gypsy fortune teller who was described in the media as the gypsy queen. And they were grilling her about where's this safe because they knew there was a safe there because they were told by a, quote, reliable source that there was a safe She's not um, a good fortune teller, is she? Of why she would have seen this coming. Well, she argued, yelled, and swore at them, and just refused to give up any of her cash. So she wasn't she wasn't going to play ball with them on this one. Good so for one her. one of the guys just got sick of her swearing at them and uh, defying them. So he just plunged a hatchet into her skull. Oh no! Oh, she didn't definitely didn't see that coming, did she? Uh, she was well, she was a gypsy. I mean, these these uh, these gypsy fortune tellers, you know, they're kind of they're con con women in themselves, you know. Don't say that because have you not seen that um, Sam Raimi film? You know, drag me to hell. Yeah, but even well, I'm kind of scared of them. I would never, I would never like if one of them asked me for a favor or something, I'm, I'm going to help them out because you get a lot of see, these Armenian gypsy women here, but. I, I wouldn't go to one and pay them to read my fortune because I'd know it's a scam. Ah, oh, why not? Bit of fun, isn't it? I don't know. Bit of fun. Not rather... for her, though. She certainly had a headache. Whee. Well, they plunged a hash into her skull and the other guy shot her. And then they fled by car and boat with the $12,000 that they had stolen. Investigators considered it a well-planned job that just didn't go off as smoothly as it should have. But it didn't take them long to arrest a Dixie Mafia burglar, a low life, a low, a, even a low level Dixie Mafia guy named Bobby Gale Gwynn. And he just completely ratted on everybody. I uh, gave them, he told them enough to piece together an idea of who was involved. Ringleaders were Kirksey McCord next, Jr., obviously. Kirksey! Kirksey, I think Kirksey to? was just involved with every, you know, shady operation that these guys are running. Um, and he was building a legendary reputation at the time, you know, as being, oh, yeah, here's the, the poster for Walking Tall. Sorry, I forgot Pretty to Pretty cool, yeah. Um, but uh, Kirksey was, was, a le- was building a reputation in the underworld here as being, like, the leader of the Dixie Mafia, along with another guy from Texas named Bill Club. Uh, arrests more, there's, there's Kirksey. There's Kirksey. I'm sorry, but, like, I am kind of attracted to this man. I think it's the gold, personally. I don't know. You can just tell that he's a bad boy as well. He's totally got that in his eyes. I wonder eyes. if he's got that, would... like soft southern accent. I think he totally has a soft southern accent, and he probably had a pachant 
for a penchant for wearing a velvet. I would go to dinner with this man. So like, kind of. He's from dinner. Oklahoma, so he's not from like. He's not, he doesn't have like a Cajun accent. Yeah, but I, he that's where he lives. It's all the gold. I would go to dinner with him. Well, to he an was definitely. Restaurant. He was definitely one of the more ruthless members of the Dixie Mafia. Um, he was arrested uh, along with Bill Club and three other men for the Gypsy Camp murders. Um, the case took an even more bizarre turn a month later when a reputed hitman and a known close associate of uh, Kirksey and, uh, and Club, um, Gary Elbert McDaniel, was found shot three times. And, uh, and yeah, his body was found in a river. Um, McDaniel's murder was thought to be connected to the Gypsy Camp case, but it was also it was speculated that he was killed to make sure he didn't become a informant because a lot of these guys would just fold immediately, you know. Because I think they didn't want to go to prison. They they first of all didn't have any money, and uh, you know probably were making very little money from these other Dixie Mafia members. And I also think there was no love lost between these guys. I don't even think any of them liked each other. Oh, I'm sure there was like some friendships with people, but yeah, like alliances. I mean- but they were probably loose. Yeah, these guys are all criminals and crooks, and they're just gonna jailhouse turn on each other. Well, like the Mc- first, the only rule of like no snitching is soon gonna be forgotten about. Well, McDaniel here, who was murdered, was a prime suspect along with Nix and two other men in the ambush and murder of Buford Pusser's wife Pauline. Oh. So authorities initially suspected gang members killed McDaniel because they're afraid, you know, that he was gonna be become an informant, but other people said that. Well, he was actually murdered by someone else. Buford Pusser. No way! But, it all comes full circle. Yeah, but I mean, it was never, you know, he was never charged with the murder, but I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I hope Buford did it. I hope he did. <laughs> so the Dixie Mafia, in its, you know, probably most powerful form, was really, I would say, mid-60s to about 1982, 83. Because by, by 1980... All these guys were either dead or in prison. You know, <laughs> I mean, he, Kirksey was already arrested. He was in Kirksey. prison. You know, uh, Bill Club, um, Gillich was in prison. So most, and and then a lot of them, you know, were were shot. You know, shot to death. You know, either killed for being informants or Buford Pusser got them. Um, but even incarceration couldn't stop these guys from uh, committing crimes. What's Kirksey doing in jail? Well, he's up to no good. So, Kirksey McCord Nix was a suspect in the assassination attempt on Sheriff Buford Pusser. He was also involved with the gypsy murder case. Um, But he was actually ended up being convicted and received life in prison for the murder of Frank Corso. This is in 1972. Uh, Corso was a New Orleans grocery executive. They broke into Corso's home and he murdered him in his home. So this happened on Easter morning in 1971. Nixon and his gang uh, broke into uh, the home of this wealthy grocer executive named Frank Corso. Uh, Corso was awakened by his wife, grabbed his gun. He fired at them. They retreated, but then uh, they shot back at the homeowner. He died in his wife's arms, but he did hit one guy. He hit Kirksey Nix square in the (gasps) chest, and the bullet lodged in his abdomen. The next day, Kirksey showed up at St. Paul's Hospital in Dallas where he received treatment, uh, but was arrested by Dallas authorities. So they they managed to get him out of the house, but uh, they took him to the hospital and uh, he was arrested. 
1972, Nixon's cohorts would be convicted of the murder of Corso and receive life in prison. So that first picture we saw of Kirksey, um, that was him uh, receiving uh, life in prison after being charged for the murder of Corso. So Kirksey was in prison, and uh, he was orchestrating elaborate extortion schemes from behind bars because he believed that if he had enough money, he'd be able to buy his way out of prison because that's kind of how he had been living his life. I mean, he was like the son of a prominent judge. I'm sure his father was crooked. And he was just paying off everybody, you know, to paying off all the law enforcement officials, except for Buford, obviously, to, uh, you know, turn a blind eye to his crime. So I think in his mind, he's like, if I make enough money, I'll just pay off a judge and get out of prison. He's Which, kind of also not wrong. You find yeah, the right judge. You know, that, it's that simple. And it seemed like everyone's corrupt there. Now, this is the this is the thing that I find the most fascinating about this guy is the scam that he was running from prison. He he called it the Lonely Heart scam. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he ran this from a Louisiana state penitentiary. The scam targeted innocent gay men, like innocent gay men. Oh, that's placed, taken a turn already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He placed ads in gay publications posing as a young stud named Eddie Johnson to attract correspondence from unsuspecting readers. <laughs> and so when the victims got in touch, he duped them into sending the mob large sums of money um, to pay wow. for his, quote, legal defense. So he had associates inside and outside the prison walls uh, that would have attractive young prisoners place personal ads in gay-oriented magazines. So he didn't like, you know, gay porn mags. They would place these, like, suggestive ads, and they're saying they're prisoners that needed help, needed money for their legal defense funds. And you'd basically get a prison pen pal with these lonely gay men. And so gay men who answered the ads would receive correspondence along with pleas for money for legal expenses, personal needs, food, etc. Sometimes the prisoner would say he was about to be released. And he wanted plane fare to visit his new friend. I would love to read some of these letters if these are still surviving. I bet they're quite salacious. So a lot of money, well, it was letters and pictures. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would love to find one of these letters. So he was basically running a gay porn operation in a sense. Well, kind of an extortion scheme. A scam, also. yeah. Very, very intelligent for the time. Well, it became an extortion scheme. So a lot of money came flowing in. Hundreds of victims. I mean, hundreds of victims. They were sending out, you know, that's pretty much, he had a whole operation with associates inside, associates outside. You know, it became a business here. Uh, one guy in Kansas uh, mortgaged his house and sent $30,000 to the scammers over a period of months. <gasps> He wanted is, that prison prick, didn't he? But this scam did become an extortion scheme because some of the prisoners eventually confessed that the, the scheme to the victims and they threatened to out them if they told anyone. So the they're like, card. start sending me thousands of dollars or people are going to find out and uh, find out who you are. Yeah, and this is in the early 80s and it was still a totally different culture, wasn't it? To, um, I mean... Coming out now, I mean, it's obviously difficult. Well, yeah, but, but, but I mean... Some, you're much more accepted into society than you would have been in the early 80s. Oh, these guys were completely closeted, but they were like, a lot of them yeah. were like, you know, lonely gay men that were like, you know, businessmen. They own their own yeah. businesses, their own companies. They're mortgaging their homes for these yeah. guys. I imagine some are married with kids as well, getting yeah. embroiled in this situation. <gasps> so the word. Dixie Mafia from the scheme like received hundreds of thousands of dollars while Kirksey's in prison. And the money was wired to Nixon's associates at a law office in Biloxi. 
So what happened here, all this money was being wired into this uh, law office of his attorney named Pete Halat. Um, I might be pronouncing that wrong, but Pete Hallett or whatever. Got a picture of him. Hallett. Um, so the operation kind of uh, sort of went south here when half a million dollars suddenly went missing. So half a mil disappeared, and Kirksey wasn't too pleased about that. Oh, no, Pete. What are you doing with that Yeah, Kirksey had a uh, distressing conversation with Pete, who actually was the mayor of Biloxi. And uh, Yeah, <laughs> Pete was the mayor of Biloxi and uh, Kirksey's lawyer. And Kirksey was like, hey, Pete, where's my $500,000? And Pete said, oh, that money was taken by my former law firm partner, Vincent Sherry who was then a judge of the 2nd Mississippi District Circuit Court. No, and it so, wasn't, Pete. You are a liar. So Kirksey was like, okay, Vincent has my money. Well, let's put a hit, on out, a hit out on him. So he ordered a hit on the judge, and Sherry and his wife were murdered in their Mississippi home in 1987. Oh, my so, word. Yeah, Nick's, Nick's, Nick's orchestrated this murder from prison. Uh, Nick's and later Hallett, you can see him here in, in chains, were both convicted in the conspiracy that led to the judge's death. Hallett was released from prison in 2012. I think he, was, he uh, served like 18 years. While Nix continues serving a life sentence. Strip club, strip club owner Mike Gillich, considered perhaps the most important Gulf Coast Dixie Mafia connection, he went down along with John Albert Ransom, a notorious one-legged hitman of the Dixie Mafia. Oh, cool. <laughs> so all the big guys here kind of went down in the mid-80s with this uh, murder of Judge Sherry. Um, Nix is still in prison. He was in a federal supermax prison in Colorado uh, where he remains locked down 23 hours a day. I'd kind of like to write to him. I always think supermax prisons, are you allowed to write to the prisoners in supermaxes? I always forget. I don't know. But, yeah, I Actually, might write to him and be I like, I admire, I admired your jewelry that you had on in your picture. Yeah, I don't know how many crime. I don't know how many gay scams he's doing from the supermax. He must be old now. He must be in his eighties. Yeah, he's got to be. He's got to be in his seventies or eighties. So, you know, after the eighties, I mean, things kind of, you know, things kind of dwindled down for the Dixie Mafia, and not much has been really heard, you know, from them. Did they disappear? Are they still in operation? You know, who really knows? But you could almost say that it was sort of changing times, kind of that led to their demise you know sentencing and parole laws changed became tougher communities cracked down on a lot of these illegal operations law enforcement had better technology to gather intelligence so it was probably harder to get away with it um the drug trade became more of a focus than armed robberies so i mean because the more there's more cash here to be made with with drugs but now it's like you know not just the dixie mafia running the show now you have like mexican drug cartels they're becoming involved. You have like Russian and Albanian organized crime. So, you know, the Dixie Mafia had once established itself as this like fearsome, you know, criminal organization. Well, now there's equally fearsome criminal organizations that you have to compete with. Who were better run as well. Yeah. Probably they, better organized. Well, of course they are because they have run like actual businesses where there's heads. But who's to say if they completely disappeared? I mean, they were never like... They won't have. Yeah, well, they were never like a very, you know, well-organized crime 
group like the mafia. I mean, there's no code of conduct or respect or hierarchy in it. You know, there's, I'm sure there's still guys who run rackets in these small towns that probably, you know, meth, you know, meth operations and things like that. Oh, of course there will be undeniably. So, and there's still drug gangs that proudly embrace the name Dixie mafia. Yeah. So I'm sure there are. And I'm, you know, I'm sure the murder for hire business has never gone away. (laughs) <laughs> well we do shows about that all the time where it's like a guy got we do news stories where a guy's like i got offered five thousand dollars and i was like yeah i'm just gonna go and kill it from her the dixie mafia yeah who knows yes um have you ever seen uh the tnt show claws no this is um, where tell I us f- about this well this is where i first heard of the dixie mafia because i had never really I don't know. I guess I was never really aware of Dixie. Oh yeah, there, there's Judge Vincent. The judge. Uh, yeah, Judge uh, Vincent Sherry and his wife have been murdered by the Dixie Mafia. Um, but yeah, this TNT show Claws, which I think is in like second or third season now. Um, Too many seasons. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I watched it. I watched some of it because my ex girlfriend loved loved the show, and I'd watch it. And I kind of like uh, Nisi Nash, who plays the main character. Desna is kind of cool. She also has like an autistic brother. Who's like full okay. on Rain Man autistic? Because he's pretty amazing, and you, you like see his dick. Yeah, which so is so. This really... must be yeah. Is it violent? Do you see blood and blood? Oh yeah, yeah, no, that's no, very violent. Okay, well that's I mean, different to how I would have thought this would be. It also has Dean Norris, um, who who plays uh, Clay Uncle Daddy Husser, who's the head of the Dixie Mafia in uh, Florida, wherever they are. Dean Norris played Hank in Breaking Bad. Uh, but it's it's kind of I mean it's it's an interesting concept, kind of a cool show. It's about five manicurists at this nail salon in Manatee County, Florida, and they enter the world of organized crime where they begin laundering money for uh, the Dixie Mafia. But then they end up like kind of owning their own criminal empire. It's it's kind of an interesting show. Um, I've never heard of this. I don't think this is on British Netflix. I don't remember seeing. Yeah, I don't know what channel is. I, I don't remember actually. Yeah, I don't know how she was watching it. She must have been watching it on Netflix. Maybe Hulu yeah. or something. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, that, that's where I first heard of the Dixie Mafia. Uncle Daddy had, you know, his Uncle leader of the Dixie Mafia. But yeah, people go check out Walking Tall about Buford Pusser, the legendary Buford. Uh, people's episode 784 here, Sick and Wrong. We have some news stories coming up uh, next. We have some phone calls a little later in the show. But first, here's a promo about our Patreon page. Hey guys, it's Steven again. Just calling from heaven through a miracle of cybernetic processes. Just to say, thanks for creating your Patreon page. I love to kick back and smoke a fat one with my boy Carl Sagan. While we listen to the extra phone calls and stories we get all the time. Anyway, talk soon. Love you. Bye. So the first news story we have here has to do with a despicable person. This guy is just a garbage human. Although any story we do on Sick and Wrong is about garbage people, so it fits. Um, Generally, yeah. Yeah. Man who drowned his two autistic sons in L.A., uh, in L.A. Harbor, gets 212 years in prison. Okay, yeah, Yeah. this guy's an asshole. In a harbor. Well, yeah, he just drove them right off the wharf and drowned them deliberately. Oh, okay, so it's a, a tale of patricide. 
Wow, for an insurance scam. A Southern California man was sentenced to 212 years in prison this past Thursday for killing his two autistic sons in order to collect on their accidental death insurance policies. Um, Ali El-Mazayan, he's an Egyptian man, intentionally drove his ex-wife and two of their children off a wharf into the water at the Port of Los Angeles at a dock that's used by commercial fishermen. This happened April 9th, 2015. You know, this guy... I mean, I've never met the Wad's dad, but he certainly brings the Wad's dad to mind. And you'll see why. The Wad's dad wasn't about uh, murder for money, though, was he? I think the Wad's dad kind of drew the line at murder. Uh, The Wad, ring in. (laughs) Tell us. We don't know what what the Mm. Wad's dad was capable of. And plus, I think the Wad's dad was Palestinian, not Egyptian, but close enough. Um, he was sentenced Thursday to 212 years in prison for murdering his sons and attempting to kill their mother in this plot to collect on these insurance policies. The judge called El Mazayan's crime evil and diabolical. Um, U.S. District Judge John F. Walter here. He had said he rarely came across such a case of despicable conduct. And he said he could only imagine the horror and pain of the boys we were strapped in the back seat as the wa- as the car filled with water and suffocated them. This guy's an idiot, right? Because what he should have done is he should have said that he killed them because they're severely autistic and he was very worried about, like, you know, he he felt bad that they were suffering. He should have played that card or his lawyer should have murder. played that card. It's still murder, but he would have got a lot less time if he'd have lied well, and said something like that. I don't think he could have based on his history. And not to mention that he was attempting to kill his wife, if who also well. who didn't have autism, who was in the car with him, his ex-wife. Um, what's, a, what's particularly troubling, said the judge, was that El Mazayan worked for two years to carry out this murder plot. Like, this was premeditated. Like, he planned this. Two years, and it still failed. What an idiot. Over time, he bought eight life and, uh, life and accidental death insurance policies, providing $3.4 million in coverage. He waited to commit the murders to avoid raising any suspicion of fraud. I'm sorry, but eight life insurance covers. There's your suspicion, mate. You're going to jail. Well, he might. Yeah, well, exactly. But I think he did it from like eight different insurance companies. He like brought it out, you know, planned it out. So it was like over a certain like limitation. Did like he a not think time period? Did he not think that the taco eating cops of California weren't going to investigate this accidental death? Well, I'm sure. It, I'm sure it'd be pretty obvious to the detectives. He's you know? pretty. And not to mention, well, I wonder if his, uh, you know, I wonder if he would have got away with it had it not been for his uh, pesky wife, oh. you know, who survived. I don't think he thought that was going to happen. Um, see, in the second row of the courtroom was Diab. That was his wife. Um, she was wearing a navy blue hijab. And next to Diab was the couple's surviving 20-year-old son, El Hussein El Mazayan, who stepped up to the microphone and berated his father in, the, in court. That's great that the, that the son, you know, I wonder, like, I wonder if the Wad would have loved to have gotten a chance to do that. I think it is like, you know, have you ever seen the Jeffrey Dahmer trial where all the, um, the victim's family get oh, a chance? They all, like, got a chance to, like, Oh, man, they are vicious of him, some of them. But the worst one is the guy who's saying to Jeffrey that he forgives him. And he's like, "Um, I forgive you for what you've done. And Jeffrey Dahmer just, like, breaks down. He's, like, crying. Wow. Mm. 
Were but people I, yeah. like, well, I think I've seen footage of that. Like people are screaming at him and crying. Somebody tries to go for him. Yeah. yeah, someone like but went at him. Wouldn't that be great if someone had wronged you and then in trial? Because it's like quite a rare thing. It doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm surprised that, a, that they uh, uh, gave this guy this platform to do that. Yeah, it, it doesn't you know? have to happen often. So good for him. Yeah, I, I wonder if the wad was just like, to say. why did my stepsister have to be so fat? God damn it. <laughs> Why did she have to entice me <laughs> to shag her, that sodbuster? I'm not going to kill your goats. <laughs> um, speaking on behalf of himself and his mother, he accused his father of leaving them in misery and poverty, squandering his savings on his low-life family in Egypt. Uh, he said, we wish my brothers didn't die for your financial gain. This makes me wonder if he had a second family in Egypt. Oh. Uh, if it means his extended family, maybe could, he, his be. brothers and sisters, his mom and dad, his cousins. I mean, that could be true, but I think this guy's the particular breed of scum who would have a second family. Same so family. he was finally like, getting rid of this one that was just a failure of a family, you know, using this money to like, you know, uh, build a palace in, uh, in Egypt. Um, he said, I hope you know I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Um, he said, don't call me, don't write me, which makes me think like, this guy sounds like such an asshole. I'd have cut him off years ago. Yeah. 20 as well. Well, it's probably 20, why. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, El Mazayan, who's only 45 years old, younger than me, uh, was wearing a beige jail jumpsuit and he had his ankles and his wrists shackled. He didn't address the court apparent, but apart from occasionally glaring at his son, he sat expressionless. And he, uh, he listened to the, uh, the proceedings through a headset from a, an Arab, Arabic interpreter. <laughs> um, prosecutors recommended a 212-year sentence, which is the maximum allowed by law here. Uh, he was convicted of mail and wire fraud, aggravated identity theft, and money laundering at a nine-day trial in 2019, although federal prosecutors said they lacked the jurisdiction to charge him with murder. Oh, that's a bit odd. Isn't that weird? So the killing yeah. of his sons and his attempted drowning of his ex-wife were central to the scheme to defraud the insurance companies. They didn't have enough evidence or there wasn't their jurisdiction to, to actually, you know, proceed with the murder trial here. Right. Which it seems really strange to me. Um, the younger boy was actually still alive when the firefighters got him out of the water 10 minutes later. Like, he was in the car for 10 minutes. Oh, my word. But he died at the hospital. Yeah. Um, well, the judge here, the U.S. District Judge uh, Walter, praised federal authorities for taking up the case again after the district attorney said they didn't have enough evidence to prosecute him. And then they decided to charge him with capital murder. They reversed course, charged him with capital murder and attempted murder for the wife. Um, so a little background on El Mazayan here. He met his wife, Diab, as college students in Cairo in 1996. They married three years later, and they moved to Los Angeles in 2000. Uh, they filed for divorce in 2009, but they kept living together, even as both pursued sham marriages to regularize their immigration status. Oh, no. Yeah, this all just sounds so terrible. That's the worst, though. It's like they have to stay living together because probably neither of them can afford to go well, and move somewhere else, and they've got... Oh, just being together would have been awful. Yeah, I mean, they lived in a cramped home in Watts, which is yeah. you know, mm. not, not an affluent area of L.A. Um, 
during this whole time, Elma Zion had been physically and uh, mentally abusive to Diab. He slapped, kicked, and choked her. Uh, she even said at the trial that he threatened to gouge her eyes out. This guy's a stand-up fellow, isn't he? He's just yeah, so not lovely. Only, yeah, not only a stand-up father, loving husband, too. Um, you know, I'm probably triggering the Wad's PTSD right now, don't you think? <laughs> I feel bad if he's Ta- listening. The Wad, if you're listening and you're upset, just turn it off, buddy. It's okay. Just skip, skip ahead. ahead to Kate's story. Yeah. Um, uh, El Hussein, the son, testified that he once saw his father beating his mother in the laundry room, and he recalled him menacing her with a butcher's knife, saying, I could cut you like a watermelon. <laughs> so I'm sure the Wad's heard that one before. Uh, the younger brother's autism placed an enormous stress on the family, as you can imagine. Uh, they lived in a cramped home in Watts, and they struggled with chronic financial troubles. I don't think uh, Elma Zion was a great provider. Um, uh, I don't get that uh, uh, view of him either. Both boys were extremely hyperactive, and they required diapers throughout their lives. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, on April 9th, 2015, Elma Zion suggested to Diab his ex-wife, that, how about we take our young sons to a lunch at a restaurant in Inglewood? And uh, after lunch, she said, hey, maybe we should stop by the seafood market. I'm in the uh, wait, mood for some say, seafood. You, you're skipping ahead. What restaurant did they go to? Was it like an Olive Garden, do you think? Chuck E. Cheese? In Inglewood, probably. I'm not sure. Is there a Chuck E. Cheese in Inglewood? I was just in Inglewood. That's where taking... I got my. That's where I got my vaccine. I did not see a Chuck E. Yeah. Cheese there. <laughs> so he's he's not going for like you know a proper restaurant, is he? He's got two autistic kids. It's probably McDonald's. you know what? I bet you it's Shakey's. Shakey's Pizza. She- Shakey's Ooh, is kind of like yeah, it's like a lower tier Chuck E. Cheese, but it's yeah. I bet she's going. I remember to you telling me about Shakey's because if he's coming out of there and he's still hungry, he's obviously been to like a fast food place, hasn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah. I bet you they, having... probably, they probably went to like Burger King, and then he's like, "No, nah, I'm in the mood for seafood." Some food. Imagine like Burger King is your last fucking meal. Like he could have splurged. He could have got them lobster tails or something. What a <sighs> dick. That guy has no money. I was gonna do that. And plus, they're autistic and they're shitting in their diapers. They don't give a shit. They probably <laughs> love whoppers. So he's like, "I have an idea. Let's go to the San Pedro Wharf. Go get some seafood." And as they pull into the parking lot. Elma Zion was like, hey, look at that passing ship. It's a beautiful ship. It's so incredible. Let's take a closer look. It's How about a little that. closer? And maybe a little closer. Meanwhile, he just stepped on it, accelerated right up the wharf. And uh, a couple of commercial fishermen said that they heard screeching tires <laughs> and just a big thump as he just went over the edge and saw Honda hurl into the water at <laughs> like 80 miles an hour. <laughs> The one guy, the one fisherman said, I saw a car just like flying through the air. It just bounced a few times and just started sinking. And uh, his wife, Dion, told jurors that immediately she watched Elma Zion just climb right out the windows, like within seconds to escape the car. Didn't help the family. Didn't bother to help the wife. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, he swam away. And she was unable to swim. Like she feared she was going to die. She said, I started to feel that death was very close. So I started reciting my prayers because that's going to help. Um, witnesses said they saw Elma Zion just quickly surface, swim over the ladder on the wharf, didn't do anything to rescue the boys or their mother. I'm wondering if, you know, once he got up the wharf, he's just added on the histrionics, just like, I need mouth to mouth. 
one of you big, <laughs> strong sailor men. I'm dying over here, mouth to mouth. <laughs> His accent. That's <laughs> what the wad sounded like, the wad's dad. Um, when Diab managed to actually get out of the car, I mean, she was drowning. She was screaming hysterically, screaming, my yeah, kids, my kids. Well, yeah, another fisherman, okay. like, uh, tossed her a life preserver, and uh, they are able to fish her out of the uh, wharf here. Um, over the next several months, El Messiah, you know, moved forward with his scheme. He collected more than $260,000 in the accidental death insurance um, policies. He laundered it to hide the money from the ex-wife. So she didn't even know about any of these insurance policies. Uh, prosecutors said that he sent most of it to Egypt, buying a big boat and a huge home right on the Nile. Now, I'm beginning to question whether he had a second family. I think he was building a, a harem. He, yeah, it sounds like it now. He had like... A boat and a mansion. Eight Have hookers in this, yeah, in this big mansion with his boat. He's like, I am out of here. I am leaving the autistic kids. And drown them. Um, so, yeah, he's uh, serving 212 years in prison. And he's ordered to pay the insurers back $261,751 in restitution. At his meager pay of probably like 12 pence a day in the prison kitchen. What a vile man. Yes. Yeah, loathsome individual. What do you have here for the second story? Well, my story is kind of the opposite to yours because it's about uh, like um, a kind of a good, a good man. A good Sam? A good Sam. And the headline is that girls, 13 and 15, charged with felony murder for alleged carjacking of an Uber Eats driver. What? I'm going to get you, hungry. Why would you I carjack just... an Uber Eats driver? This guy's just, he's doing yeah. a duty for society. Firstly, that's also so annoying because imagine job. if you'd, if, uh, you know, you've ordered your pizza and fries, you're waiting for it to arrive. It's not arriving. You're on your app. You're getting pissed off. You're going to be giving this guy, like, not stars. Meanwhile, <laughs> while he's going through <laughs> the worst thing in, he's ever experienced in his life. Worst Uber East driver I've ever, ever had. Yeah. So he was waiting uh, for my pizza for two hours. Mohamed Amwar, who is 66, an Uber Eats driver, was described as hardworking and always ready with a smile. And he leaves behind a wife, three adult children, and four grandchildren. He's a family man. He's a family man, is Mohamed Amwar. Another Arabic gentleman. That's very interesting. Another Arabic, yeah. This is, the, this is the good Arabic gentleman. Yeah, you, you have like a, an honorable, good Arabic gentleman. I have like a vile, vile, horrible garbage person. So this is uh, two teenage girls. They're facing murder charges. 13 and 15 years old after a botched carjacking attempt led to a crash and they killed the beloved 66-year-old grandfather um, who's been working as an Uber Eats food delivery driver in Washington, D.C. He's originally from, well, he's not originally from there, but he had moved from Springfield, Virginia, and he was in his, again, a Honda Accord, clearly a popular car for some unknown reason, where two girls this, of the ages, 13 and 15, allegedly tried to carjack him. What, what, were they go- what was the game plan here? Like, what were they going to do with this car? I just think drive it. but Like, like where? They're 13 I'm and often, 15. I'm often hungry. So I can see why you would go for it. I know Uber Eats cars aren't necessarily marked as Uber Eats. But if, one is, if a car is driving past you and it's marked as Uber Eats, I'd probably be more inclined to take that one. I, I guess they're not food. typically they're not marked 
I don't think there's any kind of insignia or anything. I think they're sometimes just... they are. I have seen ones that do say Uber Eats. You know, uh, I kind of. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm aligned them. with uh, Steel on this. I'm of the same mindset too. with Steel. I don't trust people. Like I, I don't mind if you if you work for like Olive Garden the or whatever, or like a Chinese restaurant, you deliver my food. But these Uber Eats people can be anyone. It could be anybody. Well, they I mean, are. My anyone. fucking brother was doing it. They I wouldn't trust him fries. to deliver my food. No, but if they're working for a restaurant, if they're working for that takeaway, then you can ring that takeaway and be like, "Some of my pizza was eaten." Yeah, and, and you get another one. Yeah. So but these guys, the like they, they probably. I mean, I guess if you look statistically, what are the or what are the odds here of these guys jacking off on your food? I would say that Mohammed Amwar is not jacking off on the food, and he is. I would happily have him bring me my fries and pizza. You don't know that, Kate. Don't you be mean about Mohammed Amwar. I like I'm this just saying, you don't know that. Don't judge a book by its cover. Well, stop talking Don't about judge Mohammed a wanker by its cover. Jerking off, this <laughs> poor man. So the girls, their names, because they're minors, they're not, their names have not been released, but they assaulted Mohammed Amwar with a taser while carjacking him. And this led to an insane car crash because Anwar was struggling with the girls as they tried, because they, they tased him, they got into the car, and then they're trying to take the wheel off this Wait, man. Did they both have a taser? I think they Is did. Is a taser or a stun gun? Into it. Taser, says taser. So a taser shoots out like a, where the hell did they get a taser? Can you buy them? I know you can no, buy stun I thought, guns. I thought tasers didn't shoot out. I thought you could get the tasers where you like, you press it and it goes, nah, nah, and you can no, just that's like a stun jab gun. it. That's a stun gun. Oh, is that a stun yeah, gun? Yeah, taser would, shoots like a little, know. like a, I don't know, a tentacle thing that like attaches okay. it. Like, and then you get like the shock. So I'm, I'm surprised they had one of these. Yeah, I wouldn't know about all these types of weapons. I'm British, mate. It's knives only here. I could tell you about a but, knife. So their game plan was, they see this guy. Was he parked? Uh, yeah, I, I assume so. So he's parked. Did they get in the front seat or did they get in the back seat? We'll get into him. These two, they're like 13-year-old girls. How hard was the struggle? I mean, well, he's, they're tasing him as he's driving. Are you going to tell me that you're going to be like, oh, 13 and 15 as well? You can be strong. Don't judge a 13 and 15 year old because they could be. If a like, 13 and 15 year old foot. girl got in the back of my Prius and they were trying, I would, no, I would turn around, grab my mag light, and it would be, I'd be like, get out of the car, <laughs> ladies. Light. Yeah. As they're tasing you. I'd be like, I'd pull the Prius over and I'd be like, you know, I don't care if you have stomach. The Prius. You would be able to get me. Stop, so, drop, and roll. This is what you think. The car crashed into the 1200 block of uh, Southeast Van Street, which is a, a kind of near the National Park in Washington, D.C., if you didn't know it. And it flipped twice on its side. Anwar was thrown from this car, and he was found lying on the sidewalk with life-threatening injuries. Wow. The two girls, naturally, they were fleeing the scene, but they were caught by police officers and a, just a random member of the National Guard who was in the area. It's Washington, D.C. They had to have been injured, though. I mean, the car flipped. No, apparently they were fine. Unlucky hmm. Anwar, though, he was rushed to the local hospital where he was pronounced dead. He didn't even, they didn't even try. Were they wearing a mask in the car? I'm not sure. The same day. They should wear a mask. They were caught the same day because, you know, they're not master criminals. They were arrested. They were charged with felony murder, which is very unusual for minors to be charged with a felony murder and armed carjacking. But little shits. They've appeared in juvenile court and they pleaded not involved 
which means not guilty. Not like who else was who else was involved? Isn't there a camera? Don't they have like uh, don't a lot there of these guys be. that drive for Uber Eats have like you know cell phone video? So at one point during the carjacking, a detective testified that Anwar had gotten out of the car after apparent struggle. So I imagine they've they've probably tried to get in the car. Maybe while he's parked up, maybe he's just taken some pizza to someone. He's getting back in, ready to go and take his next order, and then they're getting in the car and they're just and he's maybe driving away trying to get away from them and that then they're tasering him okay wait so they were laying an ambush for him oh he was sat in there because he he tried to get back out of the car and the 13 year old girl she turned on the ignition from the passenger seat and she started like moving the gear shift around and anwar was half outside the car while so they were doing he all was, of this. were they were they trying to like he, okay, so they got in the passenger seat. They were tasing him, and then mm. he was trying to escape from the vehicle. I think so, and like because they were going so fast at this point, this is when the car crashed. It flipped, and um, Anwar's head was just busted open like a watermelon. God, I would have slapped those girls. I taught them a lesson. Yes, with your watermelon busted open heads. If they were to try so, to get my Prius and tase me, yeah, no, they. I would have pulled the Prius over. And I taught them a Pull lesson. The, kids, if you don't <laughs> stop, I am pulling this Prius over. I'll come back there. D, let them take your fucking, let them take the rabbi's Prius. Uh, it's an ugly would, car. Really let care. them take it. Yeah. It's the principal, so, Kate. These two little shits, they, they are going to obviously wait for their next court appearance as they've pled not guilty. Um, and the police are building up the case now. So Anwar's family and friends are, are obviously grieving for him. A relative has set up a GoFundMe to help the family pay for all their funeral costs and to make up for his loss of income because he was the family's only provider. What? How, how big was this family? Weren't there like three kids and a and a wife? His wife and two adult children. What? And he's and the only provider. What do the other two do? I wonder. I wonder if the because the, the adult son must be providing for his family because he has four grandchildren in Pakistan. Oh, so he's okay. back so in he's Pakistan. Probably... Oh, okay. They don't live here. I think his wife lived there. Too. He's got two adult children in the U.S. and another adult son of four grandchildren in Pakistan. So he's got what, three okay, children. Okay, what do the two adult children do? Why aren't they providing? Maybe they are providing, but he's the family's provider. He's the dad. Yep, yeah, the guy's working for Uber Eats. How much money are you making? There's something could, fundamentally wrong here. He could have been fucking great Uber Eats driver, for all you know. I don't could know. Could have been a great. And okay. you know what? Could, well, then, it, in that case, what happened to the food? Was it delivered? Oh, don't, because I would be so upset if I was waiting for my delivery. Yeah, I'd just like to never know. Came. Uh, okay. I would like to know, too, what happened to the food. and what Was he um, getting Chipotle or something? Like, I wonder yeah. if like, the person never got the Chipotle. Is it like, yeah, what happened? So, Anwar, this is what his relative um, wrote about him which is very moving. He was a hardworking Pakistani immigrant who came to the United States to create a better life, a better life day for him and his family. But for working for Uber Eats, it's gonna make a better life for him and his family. He was a beloved husband. He was a father, a grandfather, an uncle, and a friend. And he always provided a smile when you needed one. We will carry him with us always, but it doesn't take the pain of losing him so tragically and so unexpectedly soon. <laughs> he was murdered by two 13-year-old girls. A 13 and a 15-year-old. He left Pakistan to come to America to be murdered by murdered fucking by 13 -year -old assholes. Girls. 
teenage girls who are then going to deny that they've done this. How the fuck have they got a taser? Where well, is I want to know from? what I just want to know what were they going to do? Like carjack the guy and go where? I just don't get why they would like carjack. Are they making him. a TikTok video? Like, what are they a doing? TikTok. That's what the kids do nowadays. They use yeah. it. TikTok. Were they live streaming it on Facebook? I mean, I don't know. Instagram. No, the kids don't use Facebook. They don't use Facebook, Instagram. No, nah, it's TikTok. The kids would have been live streaming on the TikTok. Hmm. Um, yeah, like, were, were they, yeah, were, I don't know. Were they part of, like, a criminal underground or something, and they were going to sell the car? I don't, yeah, like, it, this does not know. seem like a very well thought out plan. Does it say what, it was a, a Honda Accord, right? A Honda Accord. It, it seems year? like, no, it doesn't, but it's hmm. better than a Prius. No, it's a nice car. Honda Accord's really nice. Oh, I don't like Hondas. I think they're shit. They're my my brother used to have one. Uh, my brother's uh, ex-boyfriend, his uh, grandfather had like a, this is probably, it was a 1999, this is probably in like 2008. He had like a 98, 99 Accord that just kind of sat there. Like he maybe put like 500 miles on it a year, barely drove it. And so uh, my brother ended up buying it off the grandfather for like, I think $1,000 was even that much money. And so my brother just never used it, but he just wanted to have a car. And so he parked it in the Tenderloin. I'm sure I told this story on the show, but he parked in the Tenderloin. And so every now and then, like, I'd borrow the car and go get tattooed or whatever. And so one time, we were going somewhere, or we were walking to the car. And uh, when we showed up, he parked, like, kind of around. There's one area that didn't do any street cleaning. And it was around this park where a lot of homeless people would sleep in this park. And oh, they, no. the homeless people in San Francisco, they shit in between parked cars because it's kind of like, I guess there's some, I don't know, shelter it's or cover. Yeah, sort, it's of, sort of cover. So anyway, yeah. one of them took a shit on his front bumper of his car. <gasps> and it kind of reminded me. just a turd. Yeah, it was like a turd, just a log on the front of his car. And oh, so no. my brother was furious. He like had a whole tantrum and was just like stomping. He's like, you got to clean that off. I'm like, I'm not fucking touching that. It's not my car. And so. Just drive it. It'll fall off. Well, it didn't, and it, like, hardened, <laughs> and it was just, like, on the tip of his car. It reminded me of Boss Hog with, like, the, 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 the cow steer antlers yeah, on the front of his car. My brother oh just my had this word. homeless man's turd. This he just petrified shit, yeah. And he wouldn't get that. the car washed because he was like, well, it rains all the time in San Francisco, so it's going to fall off. But it just, you know, it was on there for months because I would, like, I would borrow the car to go get tattooed, you know, two weeks later, and I'm driving up with the fucking turd antlers, you know. On the car. Oh my word, that's yeah. so funny. I'd like to see the 13 year olds try to steal that. What yeah, their nose is in it, teach them a lesson. I know. Well, I hope they um, receive, even though like minors aren't usually, um, they, minors are usually treated pretty well by courts. I hope these two face a long time. I like Mohammed Anwar. I hope Mohammed's family, you know, takes some uh, retribution here. Pakistan could do. Br to bring yeah. up the Princess Bride, they should be like, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. So maybe they, yeah, they could be like yeah. Muhammad's kids. Go find the, uh, you know, take some retribution on these two 13-year-old girls. Teach them a lesson. Kill Bill. Kill yeah. two girl kids. Make them listen to this podcast in the back of a Prius. Two hours. Oh, God. Nobody wants that. That's <laughs> fate worse than death. Cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, poor guy. I mean, I, I really wonder, like, who's the victim here? Is it? These thirteen-year-old girls, because of like you know lack of parenting, you know. Yes, but like, do you know what? I was playing childhoods. GTA. I was playing GTA at that age, and still, I knew that I should never go and fucking get into a stranger's car and try and steal their car. 
like 13 and 15 you you can make stupid decisions but this is this is yeah, like a lack of morals they could have been you know could have been diddled by their drunk dad you know you don't know this so maybe Are that's you maybe that society <laughs> no, i'm just dad. saying maybe society wronged them so are they the victim here or about uh muhammad's family are they the victim or is the true victim the person who put that uber eats order in there and never got it they're the true victim for sure i'm hungry now what i want to find out is if they actually do recover the food and find out that he spooged all over it and if it's don't like if there's semen in that food and would like, that be so great though would it change your thing. opinion of him? No, because I genuinely think that most Uber Eats drivers are splooging on the food. But I think this this was like the one time that a man did not splooge on the Uber Eats food. You have no idea. Maybe those two 13-year-olds had ordered some Chipotle and they got it. And it wasn't oh, sour cream on that Chipotle. And he'd splooged on it. Yeah. And then and so they decided like, to get revenge. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Could come out and caught. In which case, then yes. They are the victims. <laughs> People send your story to Sigrun Podcast at gmail.com. We have some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032. And just to uh, make sure you tune in, I'm going to give quite a revelation about what happened to uh, my uh, nephew's foreskin. Yes, we're still talking about baby penises yes. every fucking week now. It's a hot baby button penis. topic here on the uh, podcast. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, but first, before we get to uh, phone calls, here's a word from Adam and Eve. What do you do when you're at a family reunion or Thanksgiving? You got a raging boner that won't go away, and you're considering fucking your grandmother. You go to Adam and Eve, of course. You buy a jerk-off sleeve, you know, build a uh, pocket pussy, something of that nature, so you can go in the bathroom and just take care of that raging boner before you have to bend over your grandma at the table and just fuck her. So, go to adamandeve.com and type in the code diddle. That's like Grandpa used to do to your dad. Talk to you later. Bye. So we got some phone calls to get to here. 323-522-4032 is that number. Uh, remember to keep it under three minutes. We'll play it here on the show. Also, a lot of people have been sending us uh, recorded MP3s. You can you can totally do that. You know, or uh, people even send uh, Facebook voice messages. To so, either um, of us, I will also accept them. Yeah, feel free to do that, and uh, we'll play it here on the show. A lot of different avenues for uh, you to be heard here on Second Wrong. <laughs> um, so, as I was mentioning before, there's a lot of there's been a lot of debate on uh, you know the uh, the future of my nephew's foreskin. Should we skin. allow him to be intact? Should he be cut? That's the question. A lot of people have been weighing in. I uh, saw that uh, Warwick Davis posted a poll on Facebook. Good um, egg. I think it was over overwhelmingly in support of him keeping the foreskin. I thought it was hilarious. It was like two American folk were like, cut it. And I, voted, like every... I voted cut it just because I was going with the underdogs. I know. Every right. British person, it was like every British person's call to arms over foreskin at that moment. Even we women. I'm you. surprised. 
Keep the foreskin. It's I, the, I I'm telling it... you, there's no difference between a foreskin cocked and an, an unforeskin cock. I find they're it just, hard. To, well, I think you you're saying that because you've only seen erect penises, and erect penises, the foreskin like retracts. But what I'm saying is, I bet every girl out there has had an experience at one time with smegma, and you're lying. Honestly, I'm not. I have I have many girlfriends, not like that, and they all none of them have been like, oh my god, I was with this guy last night, and I like the smegma was all over my teeth. Never. Well, I think it's an evolutionary trait of the northern slag. I think uh, over True. the years you've just come to taste it and be like, oh, that's what Todgers taste like. Smeg- we've got smegma vision. Give me another little cuts. bit of cheese in my cracker. <laughs> we can't yeah. see it. Cheese on a cracker. <laughs> I think it's just like, you know, it's like a little garlic aioli and you'll just swallow it down. Don't you even mention aioli around me. I would eat that whole tub. This uh, listener calls in to weigh in on it in the debate. Hi, Dee. Hi, Kate. I've had to phone in about poor baby... Well, it's Aussie now, isn't it? Not baby Schmooley. But they're really... You cannot mutilate that poor child, honest to God. Oh. I, I just can't understand how in a world where female genital mutilation is looked on as... I'm not pro just male circumcision, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Abuse yeah. that on the same hand... It's fine to chop a Jewish baby boy's willy off, or in fact, any American baby boy's foreskin off. It just doesn't seem right. For a start, it's not anybody who's doing the chopping's penis, is it? It belongs to baby Schmooley. And if he really, really wants to have it taken off, he can do that later in life. Yeah, but it's way more painful. I was about to say, so the much Jewish more invasive is... surgery than when you're like 15 or 16. I know, and the Jewish thing's a bit different because that's like your covenant with God, which like if it's for religious reasons, whatever. Religious people are wacko. They no can... act. Yeah, whatever. But other side for religious reasons to say like, oh, it's for cleanliness. Like what the fuck ever? He's living well, in San thing. Francisco. My sister's <laughs> not going to uh, raise the kid to be Jewish. I mean, I think she wants the kid to be like, you know, I'm culturally aware of my Jewish heritage. But I'm not a practicing Jew. She's not gonna. Make, she's she hasn't been a yeah. practicing Jew. So, um, I don't think. I also don't think you can have a covenant with God when you don't believe in a God. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but so. I mean, that's like. So I can kind of see why, like you know, people who are fastidiously Jewish do it. But outside of that, because it is an American thing, isn't it? The baby's born, you chop the. I off. think it's a Ju- Judeo-Christian thing. Um, but anyway. We'll, we'll see. Uh, yes, okay. See what she has to say. Secondly, it's not more clean. You're either clean or you're not clean. And if you're not cleaning your willy properly with a foreskin, you're certainly not going to clean it properly without a foreskin. It's a lot easier to clean it without a foreskin. Can I? Yes, as because you're speaking as a man who's experienced foreskin. Well, no, you I can really do a like... Cuban shower, spray a little right guard on it. You know, I'm done. Oh, we call that. Peel a... back the skin. I call that a horse bath. A horse, but I yeah. really like do a I really like this lady's voice and I kind of wish she was it, it kind of sounds like you know when your mum sits you down and she's like, right, I'm just gonna have a word of you right now. And then your mum like reads you like the rights, but she does it in a nice yet firm way. 
this is this is this woman. You think she's reading scolded, scolded, but in a nice way. She's not being a dick about it. I kind of wish she was my mom. It's a constructive <laughs> scolding. Where it's a uh, constructive scolding? I like it. Which region is her act? Her accent from? I'm not quite sure. Just like maybe Vindelindsay. She's got like a British mum accent. I like yeah. it. Yeah. And it's up to the women that are faced with these penises to educate the men on what they're supposed to do for hygiene's sake. You know, it's, it's, it's not difficult, is it? I've certainly said to people, right, you need to wash that, mate. And they have, <laughs> and they've been happy, and it's... Who are you shagging? You need to... How many times have you had to say that, Kate? You need to wash that, mate. Sometimes you are encountered with, like, a smelly cock. But, I mean, usually that's, like, after a night out, after you've been, like, you know, both in a pub drinking and nightclubbing, you can just, like, kind of forgive it. And usually I actually find that the smell of the balls is more overwhelming than the smell of a cock. What about the smell of the taint? The taint, the gooch. I actually have had a friend um, years ago who went down to give this guy a bluey. And it was in an alleyway. So I'm setting the scene In an alleyway. One of those reputable women that you hang out and, with. Yeah, and she said that uh, she unzipped his trousers and he got his cock out. And she just said that like, the wall of smell hit her and she was like, oh. Did like, she ah. still do it? <laughs> no, she was like, my house is around the corner. We'll just go there. You can wash your dick in the sink and then I'll give you a blowy. And of course he did it. classy woman. Yeah, you know, they took it up a notch, didn't they? But she said <laughs> after that, it was like a kind of, she didn't want to be doing it, but she's here, so why not? You got to love northern birds. <laughs> you really do. Hey, you know. we're classy, through and through. Yeah, opportunist. There's a <laughs> cock in front of your mouth. What else are you going to do with it? You know? Like, what, what else are you going to do, mate? <laughs> I'm fine. Um, so, also, like... The girls, Americans go on and on and on about how it's cleaner, how it's easier. They don't know what to do with a foreskin. But honestly, it's so much easier to give a hand job if there's a foreskin than if there isn't. When I was 17, 18, my first proper boyfriend, my first experience of a penis, um, he he was circumcised um, because his mum and dad thought it was cleaner. So he was done as a baby. And I'd been told by all my friends how to how to wank. And I got there and I'm like... I have a lot of questions after this. I'm going to let her finish the story and then I'm going to ask some questions. Okay. Oh, my God. How? What do they mean? I didn't know he didn't have a foreskin. And it was really confusing. And it wasn't until I got with a guy who did have a foreskin that I was like, oh, I get it now. And obviously... It's so much easier on the wrist. Well, it is. <laughs> I've gone on from there and give brilliant hand jobs. Um, and also, people with foreskins, they enjoy the sex a lot more. It does take away some of the sensation. It does change it. A foreskin is there for a reason. You last longer. Um, so please, 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 I'm with Jer on this. Do not abuse that baby. Let him keep his foreskin intact and make that decision for himself later. Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Love you both. Love what you're bringing to the show, Kate. Bye. Oh, oh my God. I love this. Can we cut? I want to call her mom. <laughs> she her. is pretty cool. Um, I love her. I'm going to call her Mrs. Delphire. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, Mrs. Doubt Circumcision. So is that true? Is it easier to give a guy with a foreskin a hand job? Yeah, it is. Because like you've, you've got it's like a kind of sheaf there and also like a foreskin kind of provide, provides the moisture. So when you've got a circumcised cock, there has to be some moisture going into it, doesn't it? You can't just be grabbing the cock. You've got to like spit on it or use other means. So, so, so just grabbing a, a circumcised cock versus a, a sheathed cock, you'd just be like, I can just jerk this off and it's so much easier on my hands. Well, it's like, yeah, it is. It's easier on the wrist. And like, I bet she does give a good hand job. She sounds, sounds like a woman who gives trained. a good hand job. My second question is, did you talk to your female friends about like, so how do you give a hand job? Like, is that something girls talk about? Like, did you, did you guys like, did yeah. she train you on her dog or anything? No, growing up, you girls totally talk about, like, you ask questions. This is how girls are different to men. And I think there's actually a Sam Kinison joke when he's like, men, did anybody tell you how to lick pussy? And they all go, no. It's no, like, whereas girls. Yeah, women, yeah, women talk and women are like, oh, is this right? Like, should I be doing this? And then women read about it in magazines. We watch porn. We observe. We're that type of creature. Whereas, so you would get together with your friends. You're like, well, my dad likes it when I do it this way. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, his dad is circumcised, so we should ask. Um, well, I've, but I, I've heard, though, that I, it is true. You lose sensitivity when you – because the foreskin's all – I mean, it's all sensitive nerve endings. Well, yeah, it's, so protecting when it gets cut off, your, yeah. it's protecting the gland, the most sensitive part of Of your dick, cock. so you lose the sensitivity. But I've also heard you last longer because of that. Because yeah, but I mean, there's been no difference in maybe it's because I have a diamond level pussy, um, and men just instantly ejaculate as soon as they put their dick in me. <laughs> so wait, you have but to deal I've with like premature noticed... ejaculators every time. <laughs> For every the curse time, of man. having that diamond level pussy. Level pussy, it is. <laughs> but I've never noticed the difference between my foreskin boyfriends and my like circumcised boyfriends or like shags. I've never been like, oh yeah, well he lasted forty five minutes. Wow. So, I was like, if someone's shagging you for over an hour without ever coming, oh my god, that's that's fucking boring. I want to kind of like, no, I don't want to be yeah, shagged. Tell that to like... sting. He would think otherwise. <laughs> right? That's different because his cock is not in her pussy. For that's what I mean. Nobody wants to be shagged with a cock in was their fucking ass? pussy for an hour. No, they do the tantra, <laughs> don't they? It's all foreplay. All foreplay. No I thought it was taint trick. Tantric? What did I say? Oh, no, taint I thought it was trick. taint trick. Oh, stop talking about taint. <laughs> so, okay, one more question here, and we'll, and okay. we'll move on, because she calls in with a part two. Um, oh, I love her. So is it true that, like, were you, when you first saw a circumcised dick, were you like, my word, I don't know what to do with this circumcised penis? Well, my circumcised dick is, was also, a, it was a two for one, because... But you had two dicks? Jesus Christ, yeah, you're northern. Dicks. You are definitely a northern <laughs> bird. Stacked on top of it. It, it still remains to the day. It's in to the this back day, of the pub. The biggest <laughs> cock I've ever seen. Wow. And he had to have his foreskin cut off because his cock was so big. And I'd never, I was 19, and I'd never seen a cock that big in real life. But he even said to me, like, Is he a black I've guy? got a big dick. No, he was oh. Irish. Oh, wow. He won't be listening to the show, but he knows who he is. And, um, he had to use like two hands to wank with, which I'd never seen before, and like his hands didn't meet. 
Wait, so like okay. Donald Trump that's... drinking a glass of water? Just... <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so just, wow. That's how Man. he went. And um, so it was like my first time having a fucking big dick. And my first, no, because it was too big. Oh, it was too, too big. big. All right, good. And then. Um, Feel better now. Yeah, you never want a too big dick and you never want a small dick. You like goldie cocks. You want something in the so, middle. Okay, so were you shocked by the size of the dick or were you shocked by the fact that you circumcised? I was definitely more shocked by the size, but then I, I did say to him, I was like, "Oh, I've never been with like a cook guy before," and he and he told a story about about he's had a fucking monster dong. He came out of the womb with a monster dong, and it's just always been huge. Um, and he was like, "Just he was like, just spit on it more," and that's all he said. That's the only advice he gave me. So I was like, "Oh, okay." Spit on it more. Words to live by, I guess. Yeah, just spit on it. Well, more. here like, it's here it's the reverse. Like here, I've heard so many. Uh, like my friend uh, Sleazy E, when um, he when he first moved here, because obviously he you know he's British, so he had a foreskin. He was just like American women were just like, what the fuck? Like what the oh. fuck is that? I don't know what to do with that. Like oh my god, <laughs> and shocked. Like he said, a couple girls were like, ah, I'm not gonna deal with that. Yeah, yeah, but these are most. I mean, obviously, don't care. The, yeah, I know, but still, I mean, it's not like it's just a dick at the end of the day. You just deal with it. There's some ugly ones, there's some good-looking ones, some foreskin ones, there's some non-foreskin ones. But I think spoken like maybe, a true northern bird, it's like just a, a true dick northern slang. At the end of the day, <laughs> it's just a um, dick. That's the name of I Kate's want, memoir. Yeah, it's just I want a, a dick at the end of the day. The day I want a T-shirt that says that <laughs> by Kate Rambo. Yes. <laughs> All right, here's a part two. I love this woman. Hi, Dee. Hi, Kate. Just a quick part two, because I've just listened to what I've actually um, sent you, and I realised that I've only said it from a women's point of view, and I didn't want to insult anybody or not be sensitive to anybody else. I do understand oh. that penises are not just there for the women. Um, men enjoy them as well. Um, so I'd like to include you know everybody in the fact that if your partner has got a dirty willy doesn't matter who he is just send him to the shower and secondly i did say chop a willy off and i'm a bit embarrassed that i used the term willy anyway it seems a little bit immature and obviously i'm very mature um she's like the only conscientious caller i think we've ever had because this next her. call that's coming up is, um, this we, guy can is can we nickname her kate's mom because i really <laughs> wanted to be my mom well, this, this next caller has no qualms about what he's about to talk willies. about willies i do you know i sometimes i refer to willies as a as a flaccid term i will call them willies as a joke i'll be like oh what a silly willy but then like when they become hard that's when you use the hard words for a cock like todger. you call it a cock uh, no a todger is also when it's soft you can be like oh, oh. look at that todger <laughs> <laughs> what do you call it a trouser snake when it's soft or when it's trouser well yeah that's a, that's when it's soft isn't it because snakes <laughs> snakes aren't hard are they <laughs> Secondly, I do know that it's just the foreskin that comes off, not the willy. I'm not a complete rotundo. Um, anyway, that's all. Just wanted to apologise for just mentioning girls when a boy should have got a mention too. Um, love ya. See you later. Bye. You know, uh, the name of my memoir is not a complete rotundo. <laughs> that's, that's mine. 
Well, you should do. You should be like O.J. Simpson when his when he with his book. If I did it, we're in the brackets with I did it in big, and your that's what your should be not, not a complete, a complete in brackets, and then just return <laughs> D. Simon Rotundo. You know, she brings up an interesting point, though. I bet it's easier to masturbate with a foreskin. It's yes. almost like you have a lube, lubed up disc, dick sleeve. You have a lubed up dick sleeve, well, up dick sleeve that, provide, you know? that provides moisture. And also you've got full sensitivity. So your cock is 100% sensitive. Be, I bet you people with foreskins just wank all the time. Well, men wank all the time, don't they? Yeah, I mean. I Most men. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously as you get older, you don't. But I mean, still, I guess if I had a foreskin, I'd be wanking every day. Wanking you know, every day. And the Taco Bell <laughs> drive-thru. That's the sign if you're single. <laughs> if I had a foreskin, I'd be wanking every day. That's the name of my memoir. If I had a foreskin, <laughs> decent. Well, everything that uh, my my dream mom has just said, I agree with. I think it is it is like this day and age now um, is in the Western world, unless it's for religious reasons, which whatever, I don't give a shit about. But if you're just going to be like, an atheist gentile like the rest, then keep your foreskin. It's mu- it is mutilation because you're taking away something that nature is providing you with for a reason. I love how you may Kate be able to live is, without it. I love how Kate but... is so woke about this, but if you ever hear <laughs> what she has to say about the Me Too movement, <laughs> you'd be shocked and appalled. <laughs> no, me and Ted Book were talking about that, weren't we? Um, all right. Well, here's the moment everyone's been waiting for. Here we go. This is, I spoke to my sister about this the other day. Yeah, she called me because I was ill in from the vaccine. And uh, I, I mentioned that, um, you know, it's become a hot button topic. You know, Shmuley's foreskin and what's going to happen to it. And I told her about the poll that Warwick Davis put up and, uh, you know, Good how it's overwhelmingly in support of him keeping a foreskin. And I also told him about, like, the callers we had that were, like, weighing in on the issue. And so she said... Do you want to know what we did? We had to make the decision like two days ago. And I was like, yeah, what'd you do? She goes, we decided to keep it. Yay! She said, yeah, they, they, uh, they said it was like a, it was a topic of much debate. And she, she said she, you know, obviously she's not religious and you know, my father's not around anymore, even though I don't think she would have done it because my father said he would have preferred that to happen. Um, but she was saying that, she felt like, you know, I don't know, it's tradition. And she just kind of was like sort of, I don't really feel strongly either way, but Jer was very strongly against it. Well, even when we did those patron outtakes, he was like, he could, it was his thing. He was like, it's I was not surprised. I was surprised he was yeah, really, was really against too. it. The reason he's against it is mainly because it's because the mutilation aspect, but also because it's unnecessary surgery. Like there's yeah, no, why would you do that? Why, to your you don't child? need to do this. Your kid's born with this. What are you going to cut the tip of his finger off? Like, why? Why do you need to do this? You in know? this day and age, you don't. I can see, like, you know, what a hundred years ago when baths and showers were like less. Yeah, know, exactly. Frequent. And I, I think um, when they, when in terms of cleanliness, and they say this about like the tribes, you know, transmitting like African tribes tra- transmitting STDs and things like that. Well, yeah, they don't have access to like you know, bathrooms like we do, you know, they don't have access. Yeah. Like, you know, the the same hygiene protocols that we have and the Israeli tribes and the Muslim tribes of like, 
you know, before Christ or whatever, they also didn't get to bathe every day. So I think much like the dietary laws that you find in the Bible, it's the same, same thing applies to like circumcision. And I think that's why these things came about. But they don't, they're not relevant anymore. The Bible's the times, not relevant. They are the time, yeah, the times have changed. And so my sister said that um, their, their uh, gynecologist, their OBGYN or whatever, was like, so we need to talk about what you guys want to do about this. And uh, she was like, well, I don't know. She goes, well, we, you, do you want to, let's talk about it. And so she said that um, she circumcised her kid. Most people go in and uh, get their kids circumcised because the dad says, that's what the dad has. Like the dad circumcised okay. and they want their kid to be the same, like aesthetically look like the dad. And then she said that's typically the reason why they do it. It's not really like an overwhelming. I mean, there's obviously Jews and the, the religious uh, you know, motivation to do it. But typically, she said most Americans do it so your kid's dick looks like your dad's dick. And I imagine it will be because the dads have been told it's cleaner. Well, they said that, but then my sister brought that up, and and the, the doctor was like, "No, that's that's not really applicable, especially to a first world nation." She's like, "So don't even believe that." And she had okay. three doctors that said that that okay. it's not that's she's, good. Yeah, she's like, "It's not. Uh, that's definitely not something that's applicable in a first world country, like like we live in." So she said, "She's," and then she was like, "We circumcised our first kid, but then we didn't circumcise the second. They had two boys." And she said it was an issue with her because she, she says she feels guilty about performing the uh, circumcisions because she has to do it when, the, when, you know, when her patients ask for it. Um, but she does, she's like, you know, I don't try to talk them out of it. I, I, she's like, what I'm, I usually be very transparent about how I feel about it and what, what it means to do this. Um, but I don't try to like persuade them one way or another. It's their choice ultimately. It's their child. She's like, but she said she personally feels bad about doing it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what her that's doctor, doctor said. So, but even then, my sister was just like, she, and the, the doctors told my sister, she's like, oh, and Jer, she's like, ultimately, this is your choice. You know, you. It's not Jeffrey's. You know, I'm just explaining the facts to you, and you can ask me anything from a medical or scientific standpoint, and I'll tell you. She's like, but it's your choice. And so, Jer, like, was very, very anti circumcision. And, wow. um, yeah, and and Jer actually had a conversation prior to this with his friends that he, you know, his best friends from high school who also have kids, and uh, you know, two of them were like, "No, nah, you got to circumcise a kid," but two of the other ones were like, "No, you definitely don't need to do that." And so it was kind of like a weird debate even he was having with his friends, but they decided not to circumcise Shmuley. So Shmuley has a foreskin. Hey, he could fit into Britain, mate. He can come over to Europe and be one of us. You know, in, in the end, in the end. Um, in the end. The in the end. <laughs> for lack of an end. Um, no, no, I told my sister, I was like, you know, obviously, you know, I think you made the right choice because I'm kind of in the camp of like, I don't think surgery, if you don't have to have surgery, don't have surgery. Don't. You exactly. should have surgery when it's like a life saving measure. I don't think you should go in and have you know, unnecessary like facial surgery if you don't have to. I don't it's think, like you know. The appendix, when you think about it. Yeah, you can live without your appendix, but your body is so much better when you have an appendix. So 
I just think it's if it's unnecessary, why take the risk? I mean, and the other thing you got to think about too, it's like I would statistically, I'd like to compare how many times kids have foreskins that are too tight, they have to be removed versus how many botched circumcisions there are. Because if you botch your kid's circumcision, you're going to have a serial killer on your hands. Oh, that's totally. how it, that's yeah. how they're made. So Ew. why take the risk? Honestly, yeah. just you know, just like just leave the baby penis alone. That's... So yeah, I think the people have spoken, and I agree with my sister. <laughs> Shmuley has a foreskin. Uh, thank you, uh, Kate's mom, for calling in though. Um, all right, last call here is from a guy named Walden who has a question for both of us, but I think mainly for you, Kate. Oh. Hey, Dean, Kate, it's uh, Walden Scott here. And I just wanted to ask you guys a quick question. It's like the poet laureate of Sick and Wrong, Walden Scott. He, he posts some, <laughs> can I say that? I recognize the name from Reddit and he makes some great memes. So thank you, Walden, for your con- continued So efforts. I've been doing a lot of driving lately. And obviously that means a lot of time sitting down. And one of the best things about driving by yourself is the ability to just have a good fart. You know, without being judged by anybody. And you have the freedom to just fart. Fart. And if you're lucky enough to have a heated seat, then that kind of makes the farts want to come out more. I think. It's kind. Is that true? I don't know. I've. Um. This is how poor. Well, firstly, I can't drive, so I don't even own a car. And I've. I think I've been on a car that had heated seats like once. I guess I, yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, I live in California and none of our cars have heated seats. Oh, yeah, you don't need to have a heated seat ever. So, yeah, I guess that's a question for the listening audience. If you have a heated seat, does that, like, inspire you to fart more? Well, I suppose it would because it's relaxing your muscles, isn't it? The heat is relaxing your muscles. Oh, maybe. So, like, your sphincter just kind of, like, (laughs) yeah, is relaxed. And so you lose control of, like, the fart. These phone calls about fucking foreskins and how relaxed sphincters. Foreskins and farts are important topics here on Sick and Wrong, Kate. You need to learn that. (laughs) Like when a a seagull is stamping its feet on the ground to try and make the worms come out. That's kind of what a heated seat does to an arsehole. Okay. We've both learned something. So when you're sitting down in the car and you fart, normally it just escapes into the atmosphere for the whole world to enjoy. But sometimes... (laughs) You experience the fart bubble, which is when the fart comes out and it wants to escape between the gap that is between the thigh and the testicle and it gets stuck. Your tank. And you get stuck with this fart tank bubble. Fart. And it's just embedding all sorts of poop particles and, and shit flakes and God knows what else. Floating fecal matter. That's the thing with farts. That's why, like, when I go to bathrooms, I don't drink in a bathroom. I always People leave drink my... in, what, like a public bathroom? People drink. Yeah, I notice this when you work in, a, in an office environment. People walk around with their water bottles that they just get, and some people bring their water bottle into the bathroom. You never take, but you never no, take food or drink out, into a bathroom. I leave it outside because there's floating fecal matter from farts. I was about to say, unless you're having a bath, in which case you have to take in an alcoholic beverage. But other than that... Yeah. Never f- no food or drink in the bathroom. You you might have in, in the fart bubble. Just implanting these into the balls and, and the thigh area. And you have to try and do this little wiggle dance in your seat to try and release the bubble. And then, you know, when it does come out, uh, you know, off it goes. And toodaloo, as they say. 
But it's really uncomfortable and I, I don't like it. And I want to see if this happens to you guys as well. And, you know, for the for the ladies out there, does does the fart bubble ever, you know, get trapped in the in the area, shall we say? Cause it seems like a a perfect fart bubble catching mitt sort of shape. I don't know. It's a weird phenomenon. Phenomenomenon. Phenomenon. So yeah, the fart bubble. So uh, let me know. Um, is it just me, or or are you guys uh, fart bubble veterans as well? Anyway, keep it sick and wrong, guys. Adios, motherfuckers. He brings up a very interesting point. Something I've pondered as well. So, do your labia trap the fart like so it becomes like a vagina fart? Because your your taint is much smaller than my taint. So you're mm-hmm. you would probably have maybe what like an inch, half an inch between your asshole. It's like a half an inch and your that? vagina. So maybe do inch, you sometimes yeah. fart and it gets trapped in your vagina, like in your uterus? Uh, not in the uterus. The uterus oh. is like that's like what the baby comes out of your uterus. Your vagina. Oh, so it doesn't is, go that high in there. I think the technical term for a vagina is like the outside. Oh, the out. Okay, so the area of your vaginal canal. So do you ever fart and the fart goes into the vaginal canal? Yeah, that happens. Does that happen? Yeah, it does. Yeah, and then you've got to re-fart out that fart from your pussy. But that's not a queef, though. It's not a queef. It's the fart that you've farted that has gone into your pussy, and then you have to fart it out of your pussy. So it's 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 been on a travel. <laughs> so does it does it make the same sound coming out? Uh, no, it's like duller by now because it's probably lost like some of its like you know, it's traveled. You're it's been lying. Somewhere. I'm not You're lying. totally lying. All right, you you farted and it went inside your vaginal canal and then you farted out the fart again. Yes, it's totally a thing. It happens. At least like maybe because I've had a lot of hot dogs thrown down this hallway, so I just like suck in anything within the stratosphere that <laughs> goes near it. It happens. <laughs> totally does, does it... happen. Women don't talk about it, but guess what? It happens. So it yeah. happens. Does it happen when you're like usually sitting down probably? Yeah, when you're sitting down and like it's 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 usually if you're doing like a slow fart, that's when it happens. And you can feel it going inside your vagina. Yeah, or sometimes it'll like whoosh past your vagina and, and like you, does it flutter the labia the like the fluttering? Yeah, woo, like a butterfly's wings. Yeah, it'll sometimes like whoosh up and, like, go past your clip. <laughs> Yeah, a harp at a fancy wedding. Wait, do you ever? Okay, I'm actually kind of excited about this. This is interesting because I've never really had this discussion. Have you ever farted, and has it stimulated your clit, made you horny? Probably, yeah. Probably. (laughs) Wow, that's that is really fascinating. I never knew that a fart could Could, stimulate a clit. You know what, like. Sometimes, especially in the summer, if you're out like wearing a summer dress, maybe you don't have underwear on because it's the summer. And if it's like gets really hot, sometimes it's like 30 degrees in the summer here. So you don't have underwear on, you've got a summer dress. And if there's a bit of a breeze and that goes past your clit, that'll turn you on. Women are just, women get turned on by random stuff just as much as men. Because, you know, like vibrations on a bus will make a dick erect. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... Yeah. Anything can sometimes make a dick erect. So and it always have, becomes erect at like the most inopportune moments. So we have the you know? we have female equivalents of that. Wow, that's very that's fascinating. I mean, yeah, the fart bubble usually does happen when you're driving. And the one thing I've always kind of 
hated about the fart bubble is because if you're driving, especially you're with someone else, and you think you're just going to sneak one out, but you don't sneak it out because now it's trapped in your taint underneath your balls and everything, but you forget about it. And then, like, you know, 10 minutes later, you pull up to your destination, you get out, and all of a sudden it's like, and then it's just a smell. And then I'm just like, damn, baby, I need a divorce. Like, what the fuck? Who let get that out of my duck Prius. Get out of my Prius. Did you hear that duck? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, is there a skid mark on the seat? Like, oh my God. Gross. Oh, it is. Uh, it's gross. There are things that make you remember that we are animals and we're not sophisticated animals and farting is one of those things well yeah I've, yeah i've often found it I, I always find it funny when someone's just like fart jokes aren't funny like i don't find farts funny it's just like you don't find humor funny okay harrison like, <laughs> 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 yeah he never really liked to talk about it. he was always grossed out by it i don't know why i'm not yeah and he I would say obviously it's kind of gross, but at the same time, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. You know? and Yeah, it's the same. It's not like I like fart stories, jokes, but I, at the same time, I don't want somebody farting in my face. No, it's a fine yeah. fucking line in there. Okay, have you had boyfriends or just like cross that line, just like, you know, you're sleeping and they just wake you up with a fart? Fuck yeah, that happens. What? That really happens. You've had, yes. Like, like you you woke up ass in your face and he's just ripping a fart. No, not like oh. his ass is in my face. <laughs> no. <laughs> I do hate. I like you know. I am a I am a lady at the end of the day, and I I, I do think you sh- there should be some mystique and mystery kept, and like just walk I into another room. Fucking fart in there. Yeah, just fart in there. But I've definitely had boyfriends in the past who would just let it rip and then be like, sorry. It's like you're not sorry. So don't say you're sorry. Go in another fucking room because it's disgusting. (laughs) And I don't want to smell your shit. I don't want to. That's not why we're together, so I can smell your shit. The same guys. That's why we're not together anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Same guys ever Dutch oven you? That has obviously happened as well. Men think Dutch ovening is hilarious, but it's not. <laughs> it's a nasty thing to do to anyone. That's the thing. It's kind of like you're sort of fortunate to be even getting laid to begin with. So, <laughs> That's what yeah. I just said. No, it's true. It's like you're fortunate to be getting laid, so why risk losing that by pulling the sheets up over your lover's head and then fucking farting? Yeah, no, I just don't want to smell my partner's shit at any time. It's, no, I think it's, it's disgusting. It is disgusting. Yeah. Disgusting. Disgusting. Oh, my God, we got through that whole episode. We've only said Without dis- saying disgusting it, once. Saying it once. I know. It's hard to say that when you listen to Sick and Wrong, and that's like the first <laughs> word that comes to mind. Thank you, Walden Scott, for calling that in. That was a very uh, thought-provoking Thank phone you, call. Thank you, Walden. Yes. People can call the Sick and Wrong hotline, 323-522-4032. Um, there's a Reddit page. There's a Reddit page with some seriously gross shit on there. Where Weldon posts? <laughs> Literally, there's some seriously gross shit on there. So just go to r slash sick and wrong podcast and check it out. Um, maybe I'll post my nunchuck video there. Now I'm going to post it to Patreon. I'll post Patreon That's- first so people can see the whole Fear Factor audition tape. I'll do that this week. I'm going to make a gif out of it. Yeah, that's why Patreon, that's the thing. Patreon, like, I've noticed this, because this week we had uh, Deadbug from Deadbug Says as a guest host on Patreon. It was really cool hanging out with him. Um, on the outtakes, 
we were talking about like his previous jobs where he used to work for MTV and because uh, he was a video producer. That's why his, his show is so great and so like uh, expertly edited because the guy's been doing it for 30 years. But um, he was on the show and he was talking about like he did a, a MTV show about like like going to the clubs across the UK and he like ran into all these DJs. He had all these stories um, but these artists from like the early 2000s, like which I know a lot of people will know about them. So we had like an hour long thing of outtakes where I was talking about some of the uh, the people, like rappers that I met that came in the Gold Club, and he was talking about a lot of uh, stories too. And uh, then he did Sick and Wrong News, where yeah, where we yeah funny. he was really funny on Sick and Wrong News, and uh, yeah he had a lot of. Um, a lot of uh, really, you know, um, opinions, strong opinions on the, uh, the the mauling of that famous gay seal, Freddie Mercury. Love that guy. I love yeah, I'm surprised. Oh, his I also love Freddie so Mercury. Strong. I love Freddie Mercury, the man, and less so the seal. Yeah, but I mean, still, it's a very tragic death for that seal. It's so, like Freddie Mercury's death round too, isn't it? We're yeah, yeah, it's it. terrible. Mm-hmm. So we discuss that on Sick and Wrong News. Uh, but every week we do extra, you know, story. We do uh, extra phone calls. We actually got some very bizarre Kiki calls this week. Very Love weird. Kiki. And then that I'm other guy. I'm encouraging him. Well, that other guy that was really What's upset by my use of the word rotundo. Oh yeah. Yeah, that guy was Ooh, really upset I've not by heard it. That. But yeah. no, I, Kiki never change. <laughs> but anyway, there's a lot going on Patreon, and we really do, you know, appreciate you supporting the show. Like, if you like the show, if you like the art that we do. Just, you know, send us a couple of shekels. We appreciate it. Um, also, the uh, the Sick and Wrong Overkill this week kind of thematically aligned with what we talked about on the show. Kate found out about a lot of weird laws that they have in the Deep South. Like weird and laws that still are in, in effect today. Yeah, and lots of fun facts as well. Because like a lot of people bash on America all the time, but like, this was a this is the reasons why we should be thankful for America. This is what America has brought to the table. And there's some cool things from the South, definitely. Yeah, very, it was very interesting. So uh, It was fun. I really enjoyed that. Overkill. Just go to Patreon, patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today. We do appreciate it. Um, and finally, actually, there's a tea public sale going on right now. On Again? Like, oh, yeah, is it the same they, Well, they change it up. So this time they have uh, like uh, discounts on face masks and... Uh, like other things, I think T-shirts too are marked down, but the face masks are really because you know I think they're trying to get rid of them right now. Everyone's getting vaccinated; they're <laughs> not going to need them. Uh, but you can get a face mask with like sick and wrong logos and everything. So uh, just go to sickandwrongpodcast.com/shop, click on the picture of the Pope, and uh, yeah, go check out the T Public store. Finally, here's sick and wrong song of the week. As I mentioned before, uh, rockabilly slash 1950s country singer Eddie Bond. Uh, wrote and recorded several songs honoring Buford Pusser, Sheriff Pusser. Um, these songs are, many of them were collected on a 1973 LP called Eddie Bond Sings the Legend of Buford Pusser. So uh, the song that we're going to end the show with is a song called The Young Sheriff, which uh, sort of discusses some of the many uh, deeds um, of uh, the legendary Buford Pusser. Uh, people, thanks for listening to the show. We'll be back next week with Thank episode you. 785. Until then, take a sleazy. Buford Pusser was only 26 when his name was etched in history. The youngest man to wear a sheriff's badge 
in the great state of Tennessee. His name was written year after year, a living legend that lawbreakers fear. To wipe out crime, he was a cinch. He stood tall and never budged an inch. He walked tall all over McNary County And on his head they placed a bounty Never once did he think twice To do his job he paid one terrible price Knives and bullets left all the scars He wears from fights in state line bars Thugs were driven from their dens of sin Right was right and right always wins He walked tall all over McNary County And on his head they placed a bounty Never once did he think twice To do his job he paid one terrible price To do his job he paid one terrible price so I can watch it again. <laughs> All right. I'll, well, I'll upload the whole thing to Patreon. Yeah, there's, so it's like an eight-minute thing. The yeah, because oh. we like, talk about the questions and she tells her story. But I'll put it up there. <laughs> oh, just on a loop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I really want to make it into like a GIF and put it on the sick and wrong secret group. <laughs> You can do it. I don't, I don't care. We we ended up. Uh, I think we like made it to the very last round because we were getting measured for everything. And oh They measured shit. us and we're harnessed. And we're like all this stuff. And then uh, last minute, they just like chose not to use us. And I remember kind of being bummed. But then I watched the show. And you'd have had was, to drink Costco or something like that. That's what, that's what happened. Is they one of the stunts that they did? <laughs> one of the stunts they did is uh, they were drinking horse cum. And like it was either literally you had yeah you had to either drink a glass you and your partner had to either drink a glass of horse piss donkey piss or a glass of donkey cum, and you had to choose who would do it. I would I would drink the cum. I oh, good do that. because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that. I mean the piss would be so like horse piss as well. It would be disgusting. Yep, yeah, horse but the cum? cum. Is it warm or cold? I don't know. It was just in a. It was like in a glass. It was like in a glass. Yeah. A, a glass. Like a glass like that. Yes, like filled up cool. to about there. Uh, yeah, around about that. And the people were drinking it and just barfing. And keep in mind, it's for fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's not enough money that's to have me no. on the internet and on national telly drinking donkey. You cum. know, but I think, I they think they it would have coagulated. And they would, it would have collaborated, wouldn't it? Because it would be under the studio lights. So it would be warm, but it would be like the consistency well, of jelly. Well, they were outside when they did it. You, could, you might be able to oh, find it. Oh, well, it would be cold then. So then it would still be like the consistency of jelly, but it would be fucking cold jelly. Oh. I, do you know what? I would do that round and I would drink the cum, but I would only do it for 
like I wouldn't I do it for fifty grand. I want drinking donkey cum. I want a fucking million. I, I could I could do the piss, but it wouldn't be something. I'd be no, I of. think the piss would be way worse. Also, I think the piss would like harm you. 